when you first got to the varsity football team at Louisville, who was the first person to bust your butt and welcome you to the varsity? So, so I can remember I got pulled up for playoffs uh, as a scout team person. Not, not that I was ever going to play in the game or anything, but I got pulled up to be a scout team safety. And I don't <laughs> put me in safety, but I guess I just needed the warm body there. <laughs> Jermaine Stanberry, Justin Green, uh, those guys, they, they were running full speed at me, acting like they were going to kill me. But, but I think they realized that I'm the coach's kid, so they better get a little bit easier on me. Than <laughs> So, uh, but I can remember I looked down and, and I don't remember who it was, but one of the, one of the defense alignment one time had drool running out of his face mask and out of his mouthpiece. And I thought, what in the, this is a totally different level. So uh, that was kind of my welcoming to varsity. And then uh, my sophomore year, I got to play, I was on the JV, but I got to throw passes to uh, DeMario Pleasant and, and uh, Tremaine Stanberry again was there. And Tony Cade was, I think he was one of the top free safeties in the nation that year, also played some receivers. So uh, I had some pretty good talent surrounded me, but uh, it was it was fun to uh, get to practice with those guys and watch them play. It always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind, ensuring them I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bump my head. Lost my mind, ensuring them I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bump my head. Lost my mind, ensuring them I'm just fine. I'm good enough. I'm all right welcome to another brand new episode of the team player podcast we are up to episode number 21 so we're in the 20s now uh, it's been a fun ride i'm joined by a very special guest we i've known of him for a long time i worked under his dad a legendary high school football coach uh in the state of texas for one year at austin college but we are joined today by the head football coach and campus athletic coordinator at alvin high school welcome james gage to the show Man, I appreciate you having me on. It's just, uh, I've watched a few of these episodes, and uh, I take something away from each one I watch. And so, to, to you know, it's an honor to be on here with you and just talk a little bit about life, talk a little bit about football, and just share some funny stories along the way. And uh, I really appreciate you wearing the Dallas Cowboys Moose Johnson jersey for me today. I was fired up when I when I logged in and saw you wearing that. He was one of the all time greats, and, and obviously being a Cowboys fan, I uh, grew up watching him. So. Fasten your seatbelts. This is going to be a great show because Coach Gage gets it. Everything he just said is why we started this team player movement. It's, it's what we're trying to do, right? We're just trying to find like-minded people that have the same viewpoint. We love the game. We're trying to promote the positivity. And you just, you just summed it up perfectly. For new listeners that don't know, my one hobby, I said, this is how I justify it to my wife. I say, I don't hunt. I don't fish. I don't golf. I don't work on old cars. The only money I waste is on my jersey collection. So that's how I try to justify it. It's, I'm wrong, though. I spent way too much money on jerseys. But I have over 400 sports jerseys. So every time a guest comes in, I honor them with the jersey. And so we have our guest here from the Metroplex. I'm wearing the Moose Johnston. And it's very footing, uh, fitting because it's a fullback. And this guy knows a lot about fullbacks. And we will dive into that. But hey, if you are listening, if you like the show like Coach Gage has, please take 10 seconds to get on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, give us that five-star rating. Leave us a review if you want to. That helps us so much because now our name will start popping up in people's searches and more people will hear this story. If you want updates, you can follow me on Twitter at Coach underscore Kovo. That's Coach 
underscore K-O-V-O. Uh, whenever you leave those ratings, if you leave one, I'll read it on the air. If, you know, we don't have any new ones uh, right now, but if you, I'll, I'll read it on the air. And then word of mouth is great. You know, just share it with your friends. That, that's what we're trying to do here. Like coach reached, coach literally reached out to me this morning. Say, Hey, Kobo, can I come on the show? I said, hell yeah, let's do it. We're doing it. So that's how we do it here. We, we, we keep it real as a team player family. So please spread the good word, hit the follow button. That way you'll get a new episode of the team player podcast every Sunday at 2 PM when they come out. All right, enough for the formalities. Let's dive into it, coach. Let's you grew it. up in Louisville, Texas. That's a suburb in Northwest Dallas, kind of sandwiched in between Flower Mound and Hebron. So just kind of tell us your, your recollection growing up in Louisville. Well, there's, there's only two farmers in the state of Texas. There's the Farmersville Farmers, and then there's the Louisville Fighting Farmers. That's so right. They, yep. uh, you know, they're, they're old water tower right off 35. They recently took it down, but uh, that's what Louisville was kind of known for. And uh, my dad was an assistant coach at Louisville in the early 80s and then got his first head job at Northwest. So went moved to North. I was actually born in 1987 when my dad's first year at Northwest. So uh, up until about the age of four years old, I lived in Justin, Texas. But then my dad had the opportunity to go back to Louisville as the head coach. And um, so from 1991 to 2005, we lived in Flower Mound, but I attended Louisville High School. And uh, I grew up a fighting farmer. You know, I bleed maroon. And uh, I wore number 11 my senior year because there was about six or seven quarterbacks in front of me that wore number 11. And yep. so, uh, you know, I was fortunate to, to watch my dad coach some very successful teams. And, uh, you know, there was nothing like Friday night. Not, not, you know, there was nothing better than Friday night football in Louisville, Texas growing up. And so uh, very fortunate to grow up a coach's kid, but very fortunate to grow up a uh, coach's kid in Louisville, Texas. And no doubt. And, and when you say that there was some good teams, some success, you're, re you're really being humble because there was two state championships. That, that you right. got to witness, you know, as, as a kid. So I want to talk about that a little bit. The first one was in 1993 here in Houston at the old Houston Astrodome. And I, I've seen the video because your dad showed it to us when we were at GAs at Austin College. He's, hey, check this out. And he's like, don't, don't tell me that we can't light up the scoreboard if, with the option, you know. <laughs> and uh, yeah. we watched that video. And you can fact check me if, I, if I'm remembering this wrong. But if I remember correctly, did not throw a single pass in that game and executed a two-minute drill the length of the field to win the game running 100% on the ground. Is that all accurate? So 1996 was actually the year they won it without okay. – They gotcha. okay. okay. points in 1996 and then throw a pass. So That's what it was, okay. He wants to write a book about how to win a state championship without throwing the ball. And uh, But 1993, they did throw it a couple times. Uh, they were down against Aldi MacArthur there in the Dome. Right. Uh, and they had to throw a pass to, I remember it was, uh, I was only six years old then. So right, I was, right. uh, Ladarren McLean was a sophomore backup quarterback, also played receiver. And they threw a, a post to him, kind of got him down. And then they ran trap from about the 10 yard line and scored with about 30 seconds to go to win the game. But, uh, Chad Nelson was his quarterback. He went on to play at Rice and started. Yeah, three. that's right. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, obviously that was the, the, the first state championship they won in division one. And then they came back in 96 and won in division two. And so, at the time, Louisville was the first school to ever win one in Division One and Division Two, but uh, they didn't throw the ball a lot either. Either year, you know, uh, yeah. they definitely they threw it. With, they they won it without throwing it at all. And I think '93 they probably only threw it two or three times that game. So uh, very successful ground game. But uh, you know, when he had the backs and the quarterbacks and that, that he had, you, you don't. There's no need to throw the ball. So. <laughs> That's right. They're playmakers and. Uh, you know that that was the the original spread offense. You know, you spread it around. You you have ten. You know, you got four guys running the ball 10 to 12 times a game. That was their version of the spread. And, and they did it as good as anybody. No doubt. And, you know, that, that's one thing I always remember about your dad. I mean, I, I, at least is my recollection being the J for one year. And I, I mean, he's forgotten way more football than I would ever know, but it, it felt to me like the veer 
was his play of choice. And that was kind of the, the, you know, the, it felt like to me, like he's trying to get the ball on the outside, get to where the green grass was and get going. Just like you kind of described there. So, I mean, I think there's a, there's a perception that the flex bone is just a ball control, eat up the clock. That's not necessarily the way that Ronnie uh, coach gauge, you know, ran the flex bone. So do you want to speak to that just a little bit? You kind of touched on that. You know, and and my dad always grew up telling people he's an old option football coach, wishbone football coach. And, um, you know, he, he prided himself on running the option, but, but I finally, when I got to work with him, I told him, I said, dad, you're running a lot more power than you are off you know, option. And so he kind of changed his mindset and said, you know what, maybe I'm a power football coach that runs the option. And so, uh, you know, from the wishbone, he was able to do a lot of both and do both successfully. And I think that was what was so hard defending him. You know, do you take away the option and, and focus on that all week? Cause if you do now, they're going to hurt you with the power game or do you, you take the power game away and not focus on the option because now they have the option, you know, the, the ability to hurt you with the options. So, um, you know, he 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 was a he grew up with under Neil Wilson, who who knew the option as good as anybody. And, uh, you know, that's all he'd ever run and all he'd ever known. And uh, the one thing I've always admired about my dad is he sticks to his gun and, and he runs what he believes in. And I think that that goes a long way, especially this day and age. You know, people are always looking for the next best thing. Um, he he trusted what he what he coached and trusted what he knew and. Uh, you know, he was fortunate to to have really good players that fit that system. And, um, you know, he had a lot of success running it. But, yeah, he uh, he's forgotten a lot more football than you and I will ever broken by. That's right. Uh, my phone, to, to this day, I call him probably at least once a day for advice, whether it's football, yeah. Yeah. whatever it may be. Uh, you know, he comes down every Friday night and watches us play. And That's awesome. He's kind of learned, you know, when and when to not chime in. But but sure. he's, you need to do this. Whatever, try this. Have you thought about this? And, uh, it never gets old talking football with him. You know, and it, it's funny because um, it's funny you bring up that he ran more power because, again, I was a first – I was just a GA. So I knew nothing. I mean, I had just been finished as a player. So – but I do remember. I remember I, he had a play that I, I believe he called it smash. And right. it was kind of like a, a power toss kind of play, right? Am, am I, right. Am I remembering it, that right? I mean, is that It was the that? old tunnel sweep. I know Ty, uh, Tyler John Tyler used to run it, uh, a lot of it. But they, they ran that. Uh, him and Coach Petrosky put yeah. that – Together back in the day and uh i think they got it i don't remember who they stole who they got it from but, but they had a lot of success off that they just called it eight and nine smash and yeah you know we still run it here at alvin and That's awesome. uh, it's 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 a it's a traditional power play but it's a power toss like you said it's it's blocked down kick out we lead a guard and quarterback through and people tell me all the time i can't believe you send your quarterback up inside to block and i said well in this offense he's not really a quarterback he's a running back so you and we tell our quarterbacks from the start yeah. of the year you better be a good blocker because you're going to be doing a lot of blocking in this offense. But uh, I can remember one year it was, I was maybe a sophomore. We were playing Marcus at, at Texas stadium. And I think my dad called smash 12 or 13 times in a row. And, yeah. and uh, it was coach Petrosky or somebody just said, keep running it, coach, keep running it, keep running. They just, yes. they, just they just kept running it, kept running. And they, they, they didn't have an answer for it. And so um, I know my dad's always told me that, that no matter what defense you see or what, what teams you should always be able to run smash because there's no, there's no rules. It's just, it's, it's traditional block down and run your, run, run your path. And, uh, but it, it was, it's been one of the most successful plays for my dad, but it's also been one of the most successful plays for me since I've gotten into coaching as well. We, we run it quite a bit here. I think actually last year, eight and nine smash was our top play. I think we ran it about nine times a game last year. Oh my God. I'm so glad I brought that up. And that is so cool. Like that little memory I have from Austin college. And now, now look at all these years later. I mean, what is it? 20, almost 20 years later. Yeah. Son's doing the same thing in six, a football. That's beautiful. And it's funny you bring up coach Petrosky. I mean, 
you know, your, your dad is a, is a kind of smooth talk, you know, he's, he's kind of, uh, he's very smooth, you know, very debonair kind of, and, you know, he's very good with the media and, and talking and then, but you always, a guy like that's got to have that, you know, old line coach is kind of grimy and tough and in, in, in the trenches and that's coach Bill Petrosky. And right. I just, I remember him yelling into the headsets, run the smash, run it, you know, <laughs> like he was a big part of wanting to run that play. And so I just, the memories come back and a little coach Petrosky story I wanted to share with you when I got you on. You know right. how, like, you'll see, like, in hard knocks or whatever, you know, opening opening day of fall camp, you make the rookies stand up on a table and sing their school mm-hmm. fight song or stuff like that. We did something like that at Austin College. You know, all the freshmen in the cafeteria would have to get up, either, you know, sing a song or do something like that. Mm-hmm. Coach Petrosky, as a rookie first-year coach at Austin College, did it. And I tell you, what he did was he, he did something where he was pretending like he's a drum major. <laughs> he, he, he pretended like he was a drum major and he's high stepping and spinning and p- pretending like he's twirling a baton. And Oh my God, I got to tell you, James, it was spot on. This guy was in perfect rhythm and I just, I have never seen anything like it. So you might not look at Bill Petrosky and think like talented musician slash dancer, but I swear, I swear to you, James, it's true. <laughs> I wish, I wish that videos and Snapchat, all that would have been around back then. Cause I guarantee the phones would have been out video in that. Cause that would have been quite the, uh, the scene to watch. I'll have to ask my dad about that. Yeah. See if he remembers that I'm sure David coach Petrosky go way back. And I've known yeah. coach Petrosky since I was born and yeah. uh, coach Petrosky has been a, been a loyal friend of my dad and our family and been a great coach too. And a great man. Absolutely. Mentor. Uh, he, when I got the job, when I, the first time I got uh, my first head coaching job back in 2015, I remember he wrote me a little handwritten note. And at the very end of the note, he said, when in doubt, run smash. And oh, so, I, oh, I love smash, it. Smash is his play. And that, that was kind of his thing he brought to my dad. That's right. That's right. Accepted it. And they, they grew to love it. And, and, and from throughout the nineties, when they made all those good runs, smash was kind of their, their thing. They hung their hat on um, you know, so, so again, coach Petrosky, great coach, great man, great mentor. Uh, but I'll have to ask him about his, uh, drum line. Yeah, it was pretty good. Pretty cool. But two, two more quick stories on, on your dad. And then we're going to turn our focus to you. I just noticed that that 1993 team and you were six years old. So you may not know the answer to this, but I noticed the record was 15 Oh, mm-hmm. and one, you know, which you don't see all the time. Do you, do you, have your dad ever told you the story behind that tie or what, what anything about that? They, they tied the colony that year. Um, okay. I think that I, I want to say the score was like seven to seven. It was a low wow. score game. I, you know, obviously I was six years old, sure, so sure. I, the, there was no overtime back then. So I don't know what the rules were on penetrations, first downs. Right, right. So I don't know what all, how all that played out back then. But uh, if I remember correctly, they tied the colony. I, I want to say it was like a seven to seven ball game. And so obviously from – you know, the mid nineties, you had Louisville, the colony and Marcus, those three schools were, were as good as anybody in the state of Texas. So uh, playing the colony and Marcus every single year, it was like playing a state champion every year. I think it was actually 93 Louisville won it. 94 Marcus lost it. 95 Marcus won it. And 96 Louisville won it. So four years in a row, you know, an LISD school was, uh, was, was going to the state championship, three of those winning it. And then the colony was making a deep run every year as well. And then obviously when they opened up Flower Mountain in the colony, that kind of hurt those yeah. two. But, uh, but there were some battles back in the day. I remember those battles back with Marcus and the colony and those guys. But uh, if I remember right, that tie was against the colony that year. Okay. And then la- last thing I wanted to ask you, you know, just, I did a little bit of homework. Just, I always like to do a little bit of Google searching on my own just to research my guests. And I, I, I read about your dad's book, The Life Coach which yeah. I actually, I just ordered it this morning when I saw, I, I read the, the, the summary. So everyone listening on my show, please push pause, set it, go to the life coach. I got it off Amazon. I think coach Gage is pulling it up right now. 
There you go, right there. Got it sitting right back. It stays by my computer. I I look at it frequently. Yeah, so I I have mine on the way, Coach, so I I will be reading that shortly, but please check that out. I love the little little part of the bio, though. It talks about the story about your dad was a part of history at Austin College, my alma mater up there in Sherman. We've had several Austin College guests that come on the show. Uh, We have a pretty big Austin College uh, fan following. We have a resident historian um, named Mark Parrish who – really does a great job chronicling Austin college history. So I know he knows probably all about this and he's going to love hearing this story from your perspective, but the name Tom Thompson, your dad coached a 61 year old kicker at Austin college. So 61 years old, set a new record for the oldest person to ever score a point. It said they set two records. I didn't, they didn't say what the second record was besides oldest person to score a point. But um, your dad talked about initially, you know, Tom Thompson was like the same age as your dad, you know? Right. <laughs> and so it was kind of right. awkward. I, your, your dad said that he thought that he was a wacko with an agenda at the beginning, you know, kind of trying to pull a publicity stunt and which by all means, I don't blame your dad for feeling that way. And then, but as time went on, they kind of developed that relationship and that trust. So can right. you, you want to just speak to any of that at all to help, help us make sure that everybody purchases that book. Cause I, I can't, I'm dying to read about that story. Yeah, no. And, and that you, you explained it right. What my dad didn't really know when, when this, when this guy walked in the door and said, Hey, I want to come play college football. I'm like, immediately <laughs> thought, well, what's, what's your agenda? What's behind it? Sure. He said, the more he got to talk to Tom and, and, and get to know him a little bit more. And he really enjoyed what, what he was trying to do. And, and, and uh, you know, Tom is a very smart man, wrote, wrote a few books now, but, um, him and my dad developed a real close relationship. He actually helped coach for a couple of years after he, after he got done playing. But, you know, my dad told him, you're going to have to go through all the conditioning. You're going to have to go through all the two-a-day stuff. And, and Tom showed up and did it. And, um, you know, obviously at, at, at 61 years old, you're going to be a little bit behind the, the 18, 19, 20. <laughs> but, but he showed up and did everything that he was asked to do. And uh, my dad rewarded him the last game of the year. I think it was against Trinity. That's right. Uh, in for a, a kick and, and he said Tom you're in I think I, if I remember right Tom looked at him and said me <laughs> there do you want to kick it or not and so he yeah. got out there and I don't think the bar got more than an inch above or the ball got more than an inch above the, the goal post yeah. but went through and, and awesome. went crazy and uh, the rest is history now they've wrote a book together and him and Tom still talk frequently they talk on the phone all the time and uh, you know, my dad goes to Tom for advice. Tom goes to my dad for advice and, uh, they become close friends. I know my dad actually, I think Tom's kid is a sophomore in high school now or a freshman, or sophomore. And I know my dad over the last couple of years has gone and watched his kid play some junior high games, watch some freshman games. So they've just developed a close relationship. And so it's one of those deals to where if my dad would have turned him away, obviously the book wouldn't have got written. The friendship would be there that they have now, but, um, you know, that, that's a book that to me, when I read it, I know exactly what's going to happen next because I lived it, but, yeah. uh, Oh, there's so much more that, that goes into this profession we call coaching that most people realize. And that's one thing my dad wanted to do when he wrote that book was just kind of share some of his stories about things that go on outside of the coaching world, the relationships with coaches, the relationships with your players, uh, you know, facing adversity, and all different things that he learned through the coaching world that he feels like, you know, people that read that book can take with them and, and, and use, you know, towards their life. And so uh, I've read it twice now. Um, it, I'll, I'm sure I'll read it again at some point, but it, I, I frequently will open it up and go back and just read little inserts out of it. Uh, you know, my eight-year-old son started reading that book and wow. yeah. um, it, it's really a cool deal. My dad was, was excited to get that done and taken care of and, and over, it was a process for him writing the book, but, uh, you know, he, he had a book signing at Louisville and he didn't know if anybody was going to show up and he was there for four hours signing books. And so awesome. a lot of people are, are, are taking it and digging into it and hopefully getting something out of it. But uh, obviously, I'm proud of him for doing that. That's a pretty cool deal. And 
um, you know, really cool to just hear him and Tom's story from, from, from both of their different perspectives. Okay. Now moving on to, to your background, you know, you said you went to Louisville, you graduated in 05, your dad was your coach, but you also played baseball. So just, I'm curious, I'm curious about the dynamic of being a coach's son, you know, um, there's a lot of different ways we can talk about this. I mean, several of my guests have talked about, they've had to work really hard. Um, and I think you're, you, you talked about it, your dad, sometimes you don't want your dad's advice after your game. Now that you're a coach, I'm, I'm curious, did you feel the same way as a player? Cause I know coach Sniffen uh, who came on here, he, he's, he was the head coach at Ridge point. He's now at mm-hmm. Belton. He said he had to actually work hard to make sure that, you know, maybe at the dinner table, he wanted to correct certain things that his son did, right. but he just worked hard and just saying, Hey, I love you. You know, good job. And being a, being a dad. So just, I'm curious your perspective on when you were a player at Louisville, what was it like having your dad being the coach? Well, you know, my dad was my coach. My mom was my high school nurse. My uncle was a biology teacher and coach, baseball coach. My cousin coached me. So uh, we, I grew up in a family full of coaches. And so I couldn't make one bad move without somebody knowing what I did. So I, yeah. you know, I, I, you know, walked that straight line, especially right. with being there and being my head coach. But um, it, it, we had a lot of good time, a lot of good memories from those days. And, uh, you know, I'll tell people this all the time. People think the coach's kid sometimes has it easy, but, but in all honesty, I, I think, you know, we have it harder because so too. Yeah. there's that fine line of, do I call him dad at, at, at practice or do I call him coach at practice? And, right. Right. Uh, you know, and then there's, there's, you have good days, you have bad days, but when you get home, he wants to be dad. I want to be son. I don't want to be player. He don't want to be coach, yeah. but separating the two, it, it was difficult at times, but uh, I wouldn't trade it for anything else. You know, the memories we made, uh, getting to play with, you know, play for him and then, you know, eventually getting to coach with him. Uh, we, we've had a lot of good memories in, from this game together and uh, just learned so much as a player and then obviously getting to coach with him. But, uh, you know, it was uh, people, I was actually the backup quarterback. I always dreamed of being a quarterback, but yeah, I wasn't the best quarterback. And I've always respected yeah. my dad for that because I was the backup. Yeah. Now I played receiver when I wasn't playing quarterback. So I got to play um, but my dad didn't play me a quarterback because I was his son. He played the best quarterback. And uh, yeah. I people that all the time, you know, we're going to play the best players regardless of who they are. And so uh, I learned that personally from my dad, that if you want to get on the field, you just got to keep working harder and uh, maybe try a different position. And I remember my sophomore year, um, I, I got moved up to JV and I was going to be the backup quarterback in the first game of the year. I didn't play very much. I played like two series. And I was like, man, this is kind of boring. So I went and asked Coach Campbell, who was my dad's he, – he was a baseball coach at Louisville for 45 years. And um, I, I knew Coach Campbell again since the day I was born. And I said, Coach, can I can I play receiver or something? And he said, well, do you know it? I said, well, I know quarterback. And if I don't feel like I know quarterback, I probably know receiver. So I ended up bumping over and playing receiver a bunch my JV year, play, stayed as a backup quarterback. And then that was kind of my way on to varsity as a junior. And then obviously my senior year, um, I kind of played all over the place. But – uh, you know, I've always respected my dad for that to tell me if you want to play quarterback, you got to be the best one. And, yep. uh, you know, I never questioned him and never argued with him. And I always trusted him and his his opinion and his coaches, you know, what they what they thought. And, and, and I just always told him, just play me wherever you need me to help the team win. And, uh, you know, and, and that's one thing I learned from him that it's not about where you play, but it's about what you can do to help the team win. And, and, and that was part of the process. So. That's kudos to your dad, because, you know, I think coach Sniffen brought this up a little bit that, you know, his son was a starter on the defensive side of the ball. And he kind of alluded to that. He thinks that may, you know, that he got some emails or complaints from parents saying that, Oh, you know, your son's playing over my son because he's your kid. And it's obviously your dad made, made it clear that, Hey, whether he's my son or not, I'm going to put him, you know, I'm going to put the best player in at the top position at quarterback. 
And so I'm just curious, did you ever experience any of that? It sounds like probably no, based upon you, you were willing to play and whatever. And your dad made that statement, but did you ever experience any of that? Maybe like some of your teammates or parents, your teammates kind of resentful of you at all, or, or was that not an issue? Not, not out of our teammates. Uh, I remember we were playing cup Hill my junior year and, and I don't know if kid but whoever the corner was, was covering me. And he told me, he said, you, you know, the only reason you're playing is because your dad's the coach. And I told him, I said, I'm playing receiver in an option offense. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming to block you. I'm not coming to catch passes. I'm literally coming to block you. So, yeah. you know, whatever you say, bud, you know, but yeah. I laughed at that, but no, I, you know, it, you, you hear the story sometimes about, Oh, you're the coach's kid. You're this. And that's what some of them are true, but most of them, man, if, if you just, if you just kind of, my, my friends accepted me as one of the guys, not, yeah. not as gauges kid, you know, and yeah, yeah. Come over, we'd have ping pong tournaments. We'd, we'd have team dinners, you know, we, yeah. My, my, my friends considered my dad, a you know, a, a role model and a, and a father figure to them as yeah. well, not just coach. And so right. uh, we always had friends over at the house. And uh, again, they, they, they loved the fact that, that, you know, I was coach Gage's kid, but they loved the fact that I was just a, one of the guys as well. And um, you know, there was no special treatment. There was no harsh punishment punishment. We had a close locker room. And so everyone kind of just, um, you know, we just went with it and, and we had a good time with it. And then so after Louisville, you, you go to Harden-Simmons. This, this is what I do remember. I remember you just coming through Austin College sometimes, you know, wearing your Harden-Simmons baseball cap. And so, you know, I, I kind of knew of you, but didn't get to know you too well. And you said that originally you went to Harden-Simmons there in Abilene to play football. It was kind of your main focus. And you played right. both football and baseball. But then you ended up deciding, hey, I'm a, I'm a better baseball player. And that's what you ended up finishing out your career as. So I'm just curious. At Louisville, was it kind of the same thing? Did you kind of fancy yourself like a football player first, but you just did baseball because you're pretty good at it? Or what What was your thought between those two sports and how you balanced that? So I, I my dad actually didn't let me play football until I was in seventh grade. Uh, I didn't yeah, do any yeah. football. I didn't do any Little League football. But I grew up playing basketball and baseball. So baseball I've been playing since I was four years old. And, um, you know, I, I honestly was just a better baseball player than I was a football player. And, and, and I've always had a passion for football more than baseball when it comes mm -hmm. to being and playing. But – I was just a better baseball player, but uh, I had the opportunity to go to Lon Morris and play baseball or go to Harden Simmons and play football. And, and I said, you know what? I think I want to keep playing football. And I drove out to Jacksonville and went and visited Lon Morris. And I thought, yeah, there's nothing to do in Jacksonville. Town. So Abilene, it was, you know, and so I ended up going out to Abilene. Well, when I went out there, my, my head baseball coach uh, at Louisville happened to know Coach Coleman, the head baseball coach at Harden Simmons, and called him and said, hey, if you got a spot, you know, he's a great kid, you know, he'll help you out, blah, blah, blah. So I went out there to play football, uh, played my first semester and loved it. But at Hardin-Simmons, there's no scholarships. There's no – so we had 80 kids on the roster. We had 10 quarterbacks. And, you know, I was number eight or seven of the on the depth chart of quarterbacks. And mm -hmm. uh, by the end of the year, I'd worked my way up, and I was starting on the JV. Uh, but there was three quarterbacks in front of me that were coming back for at least two more years. And so uh, I sat down with Coach Wardis, and, and I said, Coach, what's – what's my future in football, you know? And he said, coach right now, or James, you know, right now you're, you're probably going to start the year as the fourth quarterback next year. And, you know, maybe your junior year will be the third quarterback and maybe as a senior have a chance to, to compete for the starting job. And I said, you know, I appreciate your honesty, coach Wardis. And yep. Yep. Uh, at that point we were almost done with baseball season and I was starting at first base as a freshman and I was hitting seven hole. And I just told myself, and at the time, honestly, my dad had gotten the job at Austin college. And so yep. I don't, Austin College I'd been accepted there and so I had three options I could continue to do football and baseball I could stay at Hardin-Simmons and just do baseball or I could go to Austin College and try both and um, I ended up deciding just to stay at Hardin-Simmons and play baseball my last three years and, and that was the best decision for mm -hmm. me 
worked out. Um, you know, I got married in 2016 and six of my groomsmen were off my, my college baseball team. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I, I talked to my college baseball buddies uh, more than I talked to my high school buddies. And, yeah. uh, you know, I'm still close with all my high school friends, but I'm, I'm probably a little bit closer with my college buddies. And so not a day goes by that I don't think or, or regret that decision to stay at Hardin-Simmons and play baseball. And um, I started every game my sophomore, junior, and senior year in baseball and uh, was able to help the baseball program out probably a little bit more than I would have been able to help the football program out. So I uh, had a great time doing it. We won a lot of football or a lot of baseball games. Uh, we actually went back to Abilene back in April, a uh, little reunion. There was like 12 of us. We went back, we golfed and went and watched a game. And, uh, you know, it was just like old times, you know, and yeah. we hugged our car, the same coaches there. So got to talk to his wife, got to talk to him and uh, just, just kind of brought back a lot of memories that, that, that we had growing, you know, going to school there. You know, we've had several uh, division three athletes on the show, Ben Moran from Austin college, Marvin Nash from Austin college. Now, you know, yourself, you, you're a head coach now, so, you know, and a lot, a lot of coaches do talk about nowadays, there is kind of a D one or bus mentality from parents or players. And so, do how do you handle those situations? You know, if, if you have, if you do encounter those situations, I mean, what do, what do you tell players about the value that there is in D, D3 or JUCO or D2 or any, anything outside of that D1 realm? You know, my philosophy has always been play as much as you can, as long as you can. And mm-hmm. you have the opportunity to go play somewhere, go play. Go, go try it out and see what happens. You, you may go and, and absolutely love it and say, this is where I'm supposed to be. Is what, or you may go and you go, you know what, this isn't for me. And I always tell them home, home is going to be here. You know, if you go off and you try something, you want to come back, home's still going to be here. But the worst thing you can do is sit there and be 25 years old, 30 years old and go, I wish I would have went and tried to play here. I wish I would have went and tried to play there. You know, mm-hmm. uh, don't, don't ever live with that regret. Don't ever live with that. I wish I would have done mentality. Uh, you know, and people always say, well, division threes don't have athletic scholarships. Well, you're right. They don't. But there's so many different academic packages. Yeah can get creative and put together now and that's what I tell our kids the better the better grades you have the better test scores you have obviously the more money you're going to receive and so there's ways to work it out you know and and obviously uh, regardless of where you go to school unless you're getting a full ride you're paying a lot of money to go to school somewhere and so uh, you know I always tell our kids if you have the opportunity to go play go play go try it out go just just give it a shot and if you don't like it you come back home but the worst thing you can do again is look back and go, man, I wish I would have done that. Or I wish I would have tried this, or uh, I wish I would have listened to coach and done this. And so, uh, you know, we, we, we tell our kids, it's not necessarily D one or bus. It's just, if you want to go play college football or you want to go play college sports in general, we're going to find somewhere for you to play. You know, we sent a kid to an NAI school last year. We sent a kid to a D two. Uh, we've got two kids that are going up to Sagu and Waxahachie. So, mm-hmm. You know, we, we just feel like if we if, if you want to play, we're going to help you find a place to play. And, uh, you know, if it's at a D3, D2, D1, you know, wherever you, you fit in, let, let's get you there and get you the opportunity to go play some more. You, know, you mentioned your dad, you know, taking over at Austin College. You know, he retired, I believe, after you finished at Louisville. And then he took a short period, very short period of retirement, actually, and then came back to Austin College. That's where I met him. You, you described how much you really you're so close to your teammates in baseball and you're enjoying your experience at Hardin Simmons. But what I remember is what you said that you were considering coming to Austin College. I remember hearing that was kind of the rumor that Coach Gage's son may come here. Um, what was that dynamic like? Was was it something where your dad was kind of actively saying, like, hey, son, I'd love to have you over here. I'd love to be with you one more time. Or was he kind of just hands off? And then for you. Were you saying, hey, I love it at Hardin Simmons, but I'd, I'd love to be with my dad one more time? Or was it kind of like, you know what? 
maybe I kind of want to strike off my own one time and just kind of see it. So I'm just curious, what was everything about that dynamic of your dad being in Austin College and you being a Harden Simmons? So he got the Austin College job about middle of spring, if I remember right, sometime around spring break. And, and I was on the fence, man. I, I really was. One day I wake up and I want to go to Austin College and play for him again. And then the mm-hmm. next, you know, I'd go get two hits on the baseball diamond and go, ah, you know what? I think I want to yeah. stay here. So yeah. uh, it, it weighed heavy on me, uh, you know, but I had a lot of good conversations with my dad. And, and, and again, the, the thing I respect about him, he said, it's your decision. If you want to come play here, great. Come on, we'll take you. If you want to stay there, I'll support you there too. And, uh, you know, he never pushed for me one way or the other. He just said, it's your decision at the end of the day. We're going to support you, whatever you want to do. And, uh, you know, the thing that I'm most thankful for, uh, you know, obviously Austin College and Hardin-Simmons about four and a half, five hours away. Uh, I don't know if my dad missed more than probably three baseball games in my college career. You yeah. know, so yeah. he made it a point, even though we were at different schools and doing different things, he was still supportive and, and drove to my games and, uh, he was going to do everything he could to to come support me and make sure he was there to watch me. And so, you know, I've told him thank you many times, but forever grateful for him, you know, for supporting me, even though I didn't go play for him. Uh, you know, he was still a part of my life and, and coming to watch me in my athletic career at Austin College or at, at Hardin Simmons while he was at Austin College. That, that that's really cool, and it, it's cool in the coaching community. I know there's a lot of Austin College coaches that are that are in the high school ranks now, and I know Hardin Simmons has a lot too. I know there's a lot right. of Harden Simmons. I Mary Harden Baylor has quite a few. So it's just pretty cool that you have that connection in, in a way to both Austin College and Harden Simmons. But I'm curious, when your dad came, that was our first year leaving the American Southwest Conference and going to the SCAC. And mm-hmm. so I'm just curious for you as a baseball player, did I, I, I'm just not clear where your timeline was. Did you ever play Austin? Was when we so were we playing, played, was Austin College still in conference or had they left already? We played Austin College in non-conference games. We, we okay. always we played pretty much every year on a Tuesday. Uh, we'd go to them or they'd come to us and uh, we'd play a couple of double headers sometimes, but uh, we didn't have the week traditional weekend series anymore since we were in different conferences, but uh, we still traveled to them a couple of times. They came to us a couple of times and um, you know, it was always fun playing them because I, I knew a lot of the baseball guys, Scooter Means played football for my dad and played Scooter it all. Means business. Yep. Yeah. He was great. Uh, Ross Haston, one of my best friends, yeah. he played football. Yep. So anytime I came to Sherman, I hung out with the Austin college guys. And so I knew a lot of the guys on the team. Uh, Matt Fink played baseball. Yep. So, uh, it was fun to get to play against those guys, but um, I don't know. And I, I may be wrong, but I don't know if we ever lost a game to Austin College. While That's I was what I was going to ask you. And I love that you. Uh, we, <laughs> you know, uh, the, one of the, my best games I ever played in, in, in college was at Austin College. I think I went four for four that day. Wow. Uh, doubles. But I got overshadowed by my roommate. My roommate had nine RBIs. He had a grand slam. And oh, a three- my God. And, and so the best day I probably ever had at the plate, people don't even remember because my roommates over here getting nine RBIs in one game. But uh, no, we, I remember after that game, my dad said, whatever you're doing, don't change anything. And I think yeah. the next time I went over four. So uh, it <laughs> kind of balanced itself back out, but uh, I always enjoyed playing Austin college again, just because I knew a lot of those guys uh, from, from being around them and, you know, my time in Sherman, but, uh, it was just uh, I, I always enjoyed visiting Sherman whenever you know my parents lived there it was just fun to kind of go back and yeah um, you know get to play in front of them so that's a great story I, I'm sure coach Carl Iwasaki was just kicking himself saying hey this this kid's dad coaches with me we can we need to get him over here after going four right. before but right. uh, yeah he you know I think he was pushing my dad hey Mr. Yeah. Arnie, here, <laughs> over here. I, and I, I think he was pretty upset whenever he found out that I was going to stay at Harden Simmons so 
That's funny. And you bring up Ross Haston. I, I kind of forgot about that because when your dad came, he brought several fighting farmers with him. I remember there was Ross Haston who became our fullback. And then a Kent, I can't. Kent, Kent Bell. Bell. That's right. Bell yeah. ended up coming and playing quarterback. So that was a really nice, uh, you know, as we, we transitioned to a totally different offense under your dad's leadership, it was kind of nice to have guys like that that really could transition quickly. And they were good right. Yeah. Players. Getting those two guys in, obviously Kent played quarterback. Ross, Ross was a quarterback and running back in high school. Um, and my dad put him at fullback because he put on a little bit of weight going into this. Yeah. Right? He put on a little bit of weight. And I'll never forget Ross said fullback. And I hate fullback in this offense. And so I think his junior or sophomore year, they ended up moving him back to running back. And he had a great career there at running back. And Kent played a couple of years, started a bunch of games for him. So, you know, having a couple of guys there that, that understood the offense and, and, and understood, you know, uh, the, with the change of offense, having a couple of guys that, that know it that are, I think that helped kind of with the transition a little bit. And so when you start your coaching career, and, and just correct me if I got this timeline wrong, but I believe you started at Barbers Hill. Mm -hmm. And your dad was coaching at Bar Barbers Hill? Yep. So I graduated December of 2009. And I was about to start my master's and GA for the baseball team. And my dad called me and said, hey, don't, don't enroll yet. He said, I think I'm getting, I think I'm going to get back into high school. And I said, okay, well, just let me know. Well, about two days later, he called and said, I'm flying down to Barbers Hill. And I said, where, I don't even know where Barbers Hill is. Never heard of it. You know, I'm from Dallas. And right. West Texas and Dallas. I've never been to Houston. And so uh, he tells me it's down in there. And I said, all right, well, and then he tells me how much, you know, Barbers Hill is one of the top paying school districts in the state of Texas. Yes, so, it is. Yes. You know, he told me you're going to be 23 years old and you're going to be making this much money. I thought I'm in. All right. Yeah. <laughs> all right you know, so February of 2010, I, I had a, a full two months off of not having anything, you know, any grown up responsibilities. Uh, and in February, 2010, I moved down to Barbers Hill with my dad and we, uh, I was actually going to be a freshman coach for him. And we, we drove to San Marcos to listen to a clinic, and it was just he and I. And I don't know if he was struggling to find a, a receiver coach or if he just was waiting to ask me, but I remember the car ride back home. He said, hey, I'm, I'm still looking for a wide receiver coach. And I said, well, what are you going to do? He said, well, do you think you can handle it? And without hesitation, I said, absolutely, yeah, I can do it. And then it kind of got quiet, and I started thinking, what did I just get myself into? You know, <laughs> varsity position right out of college. I'm 22 right. years old and right. uh, 23. and I remember that, that my dad, that first spring, he, he, he threw me to the fire. You know, I, I remember it was probably about a week or so into practice. Our, our wide receivers, they were struggling. I was struggling. And I just remember after practice one day, my dad kind of brought the team up and said, you know, you got to learn what's going on. You got to learn the offense. And he said, if you can't learn it, I'm going to get a coach in here that can teach you. And he kind of looked right at me and I thought, Oh, he's that's, that's a shot at me, you know, and, right. So I, after that, I got on the phone. I started calling every coach I knew. I started watching every clinic video I could watch. And I thought I was the next best. And I, I But I learned. I learned real yeah. quick that in this business, if you're going to be successful and you're going to have an opportunity to work your way up, you got to work for it. And it's not just going to be given to you. And so um, ever since that day, I've always told myself, nobody's going to outwork me. And, and, you know, I still think that that, that I try, try to hold true to that. And um, so I, as a 23-year-old, I was coaching varsity wide receivers and uh, you know, it was, again, in the option offense, we were we were throwing the ball five times a game, six times a game, but uh, we were pretty good blockers. And I always yeah. took pride in that. And our kids took pride in that. And, uh, you know, I, it was one of those deals. Uh, you know, my, my motto is always have the best position, be, be the best position on the field. You know, and I want to coach, I want my position to be the best coach position. And, uh, you know, I worked at that. And it, it took that one little butt chewing from my dad that day after spring ball to, to kind of get me going. But, but after that, I, I was kind of, you know, my eyes were opened to, in this business. If you're going to make it, you, you got to work for it. And so uh, having the opportunity to go work for him after playing for him, 
you know, was, was awesome. It was, you know, the conversations you have in the coach's office, you don't realize those conversations go on when you're a player, you just think you go in there, but you just sit down and talk and you get to just, just those, those that's what I remember the most about my Barbers Hill days with him is, you know, he brought down Terry Good, who was his defensive coordinator at Louisville for a long time. Uh, Ray White was his head track coach, came down and coached with us. Uh, you know, so Ross Haston was down there. Michael Odell, who was his 96 quarterback, was our offensive coordinator. So there was a kind of a Louisville family in the coach's office, uh, but it was just a family atmosphere. And that's one thing that I pride myself on now as a head coach is I want our, our field house to be a family. I want to see kids running around, you know, mm-hmm. I want to get to know your wives and, and I want us to feel like we're a big family because that's kind of when I first got into coaching, that's what I got to see my dad kind of instill into us as coaches. That's awesome. And, you know, I, I love the story of how your dad kind of chewed your butt because that was a question I was going to ask is that, again, people think you get preferential treatment because you're the son of a coach, but it's, you know, it's one thing when you're in high school and he's your dad and he did a great job being dad, but now this is his profession and you're a professional, you're on his right. payroll. And so I, I kind of envision, I remember, you know, coach sniffing, you know, my mentor at Ridgepoint, we weren't blood or anything, but we were close. I felt like he was harder on me than everybody else because he trusted me and knew I could take it and, you know, things of that nature. And so I kind of think maybe the same for you, your, your dad knew that he could, he could bust your, bust your butt pretty, pretty good. Cause he knew you, you could take it or. Right. Absolutely. And, and you know, being 23 years old, you just, you don't really know what you don't know. Right. And one thing my dad did a good job of, he wasn't scared to pull you in the office and say, Hey, I need you to do this better or change this, or, Hey, I want you to approach this this way. He, he helped grow, grow me as a young coach, but, but grow other coaches, not just myself. And um, that's one thing I took from him that I still use is, uh, you know, I, I don't claim to know everything, but if I see something that I don't like as a head coach, or I want to be done differently, or if I got a suggestion on how we can do it better, I'm going to sit down and have that conversation with you. And so yes. um, a, a lot of closed doors, uh, conversations that sometimes got a little heated, you know, we right. agree on some certain things, but, uh, you know, as a whole, you know, we, we were on the same page and, and, and I think growing up watching him coach playing for him and then getting the opportunity, you know, we, we thought a lot alike. And there were several times where I would tell him, Hey, what do you think about this? And he'd look at me and say, that's exactly what I was about to call or, Hey, you know, what do you think about this? Or I'd draw up an adjustment. He'd go, yeah, let's do it. You know? So, so as the, as the years went on, we worked together for five football seasons. By the end of, you know, those five years, we, we, were, we were thinking a lot on the same page. You know, I got to call the offense on the JV uh, all five years, and, and, and I was technically labeled his offensive coordinator my last two years, but he still called probably 75% of it. Yeah. But I think the, the more we worked together, you know, the more he allowed me to start calling it a little bit. And um, he, he always told me, you know, after Thursday night JV game, you know, how, how, how proud he was of me, the way I called the game and how much it reminded me of him. And so it just made me realize, you know, what I was doing was, was exactly what he was teaching me. And, and, and we still do the same things now here at Alvin, you know, we, we try to keep it simple and we try to find a few good things and we try to get really, really good at those few things. And, uh, you know, my dad has always preached, coach the little things hard, coach the little things hard. And that's one thing we feel like we do here where one of our mottos is attention to detail. And so uh, we're going to coach those little things hard. We're going to coach them daily. Uh, we're going to do the same thing the first day of practice that we're doing the same or the last day of practice, you know, and uh, we're going to be really good at the fundamental part of the games. And uh, again, those are things that I learned from not, not only playing for my dad, but also coaching with him. Yeah. And, you know, I know that you, 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 you progressed to offensive coordinator and you, you, you read my mind, you answered my question. I was going to ask, I know Ronnie was a, a head coach that prided himself on calling offense. So I was going to ask you how much of the reins he gave up. And so you said about, you know, 
a quarter. You got about a, a quarter, 25. Well, all the scoring plays I called. You know, <laughs> scored, it was it was me that called the play. You know, the, right. the negative plays were always his fault. But you know, we we there were several times, and, and, and Coach Petrosky, you know, we talked about him earlier. He can attest to this. There were several times where I was just told no, where I was told to be quiet, or I was told, yeah. to, you know, whatever it was. So I got it. Yep. You, you, you just tell me what, what we're running and, and we'll, we'll do it. But uh, oh, he, as he, as he went on in his career, you know, he didn't wear a headset in the nineties. He, he told me that I said, you didn't wear a headset. He said, no, he said, I just, I just called it. I said, well, how'd you communicate with guys upstairs? How'd you, he said, I just asked people on sideline, what are they in? And then I'd call play. And so yeah. he, didn't, he said he didn't start wearing a headset until he got to Austin college. And so, yeah. um, you know, I think that was still kind of new for him when he got to Barber. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, being able to communicate like that, but it was, uh, you know, it, there, we had a lot of good conversations, you know, on Friday nights and a lot of, Hey, I got this. I've been doing this a long time <laughs> or, Hey, what do you got for me? And, right. Right. Uh, there were several times where he, Hey, you, you call it this time. And, and so, you know, I was always fortunate to, to be able to, to have that opportunity working for him. And then, you know, you move on to get your head, your first head coaching job. I think, did you say you were 28? I was years 28 old? years old. Yep. 28 years old. You, you got me beat. I, I thought I was young. I got my first job like at the very tail end of my 29 year, 29. Uh, I think I got the job. And then like a week or two later, I turned 30. Uh, yeah. I remember that was a fun, dirty, 30 birthday party for me. Just being up all my <laughs> friends from Rich Point. And we, we had a big party and we celebrated because I became a head coach. But uh, yeah, so I thought I was young, but you, you got me beat by a good uh, two years there. And mm-hmm. you went to SNS Consolidated and you by God, I tell you, I know SNS Consolidated, the Rams. Right. I, I remember the Rams. One of my, my teammates at Austin College, TJ Phillip, he's only there for a year, but we came in as freshmen together. He went to SNS Consolidated. So I know that it's a town just about 20 minutes, just straight mm-hmm. west of Sherman. And so I'm just curious. It's a small school. So what, what, how did you, what, what led you to, to uh, pursuing that job? Well, obviously, my background with my parents living in Sherman, yeah. I knew the Texoma area very well. Um, and so when that job came open, my dad's cousin, David Gage, who actually was his offensive line coach his last two years at, at Austin College, uh, was a part-time coach there. He was a retiree hire, and, and he was helping coach. And uh, David actually coached the, the superintendent, Tommy Hunter, and the principal, Roger Reed, at Gunner High School. And so... Mm kind of reached out to David and said, Hey, you know, we're looking for a new head coach. If you got anybody, you know, young and up and coming that's, that's willing to, you know, looking for an opportunity, you know, bring them to us. And so uh, David reached out to me and my dad and said, is James interested? He said, I think I can probably get him an interview. And I sat down with my dad and my dad said, you know, you're 28 years old. It's probably time to start doing some interviews. You know, and I'd never been to a formal interview like that before. And so I said, all right, yeah, I'll, I'll go interview. And, so I remember driving up and I, I stayed at Ross Hastings house and I remember he and I went to dinner and, you know, he said, what are you going to do if you get the job? And I said, <laughs> I thought about that. I'm just going up here to interview. And, and I told my superintendent, Mr. Hunter and, and, and Mr. Reed, I told both of them when I left, I said, I came up here strictly just to interview. Like I, I was just thinking, there's no way I'm going to get this job. There's no way like, I'm just going to knock this interview out so I can learn from it and get ready for the next one. And uh, I'll never forget when they called me and offered me that job. I kind of just, I was speechless. I said, do they, they, do you want the job? And I kind of said, can I call you right back? And I remember I sprinted down to my dad's office and I said, what do I do? (laughs) He said, you take it, you take it. So I remember calling him back and I said, I'm in, you know? And so as a 28 year old, and this was in May of 2015, I just turned 28. I turned 28 that April. So, I mean, I was fresh 28. Yeah. And um, I remember accepting the job and then I got up there. I remember that first day I sat in my office and I go, 
well, now what, you know, now what do I do? And I didn't really know where to go from there. I had to hire 10 coaches that first summer and I got hired in May, middle of May. So in about half month span, I had to hire 10 coaches at a three, a school that at the time was not paying very well. Right. Uh, adjusted their stipends and their pay scale now to help out. But uh, at the time it was not great. So uh, there was pretty much five days a week. I was getting to the office about 6 AM and I wasn't leaving until about 8 PM. Yeah. And um, it was uh, some long night. I remember I, I needed some girls coaches. And so I went to the girls coaches website and I started just searching every top 25 program in the state of Texas. And I, I would go to their and I would look, and if they had a, a young up and coming assistant, I would figure out who they were and I'd email them. Are you interested in being a head coach? Are you interested? I need this. I need That's this. Awesome. I love and it. I finally got them hired. I finally got everyone hired. And um, it, it was, it was a challenging first year. And again, you, you feel like you're ready or you don't really know if you're ready until you get in that seat. And I was not ready. Bingo. by Yes. Uh, bingo. But I was fortunate that, that Tommy Hunter and Roger Reed both gave me an opportunity to grow. Um, and, and the one thing again, with my dad, I had three guys with those three guys that I could reach out to and say, what do I need to do better? How do I do this? How would you handle this? What would you do here? The football part of it was fine. We ended right. up at four and seven, my first year, uh, we made the playoffs. I remember when I, when I was walking around with Mr. Hunter, he said, you know, we're, we graduated 22 seniors, which at a 3A school was a lot. And mm -hmm. he said, you know, if we win two games this year, it'll be a successful year. And I remember going, two games? That's yeah. that's not a very lofty goal, you know. Yeah. And we ended up winning four. So, you know, I guess I exceeded his expectations of the two yeah. wins the first year. But uh, had a really good senior class my first year there. And, um, you know, they bought into what we were trying to do. And then I was able to – to bring in a couple of, uh, I brought in Tommy Cook. I don't know if you remember the name Tommy Cook or not. He played it all. He's an Austin college grad. Okay. Uh, he's actually from Wisconsin and, uh, he moved wow. down, he moved down and played for my dad. His, his last year, maybe two years at Austin. Okay. So I hired him as my defensive coordinator while I was there. And, uh, he helped me out tremendously. He was a tremendous hand on that side. Uh, you know, we ended up, uh, I hired some really good young coaches. The challenging part was keeping them there. Cause again, we were 30 minutes from the Metroplex and they could drive 30 miles and go make 15, 20,000 more dollars. So right. hiring good coaches and then keeping them was a challenge, but uh, you know, my four years there at SNS, I got to meet some really good people. Um, I was telling someone the other day, uh, my wife and I went to a wedding a couple of weeks ago, uh, one of my former players from SNS. And I said, that's three weddings in the last six months. I've gone to a former players from SNS. So uh, a lot of relationships were built there. And uh, very fortunate that I was offered the job. You know, I, I went up there to, to interview and, and four years later, I was the head coach and, and, and built a lot of relationships. And so uh, the funny thing is, is I told Mr. When I told Mr. Hunter, uh, he's a, he's now the superintendent at Sanger. I told him, I said, you know, I, I went up there just to interview. He said, well, can I be honest with you? And I said, yeah. He said, well, you were the first of four interviews. He said, you were kind of our guinea pig. We had no intentions of hiring you. We just kind of wanted to play, you know, because it was just me, him and Mr. Reed in the interview. That was it. Mm -hmm. Just such a um, he said, we just, we just brought you in to kind of knock the, the dust off. He said, but as soon as you walked out of that office, we both looked at each other and said, that's our next head coach. So, yeah, uh, so I interviewed really well with them, but, uh, you know, I, I'm fortunate that they gave me a 28 year old, the opportunity to come in and, uh, lead a program and, and lead a school district. And, um, you know, I, I learned so much in those four years. And I tell people this all the time, that the challenging part for me was, Graduating from Louisville, I graduated with almost 800 kids. And then when I got to Barbers Hill, we were about 1,500 kids. And then when I got to SNS, we had 275 kids in high school. Right. Going from the big school to the small school was a huge challenge for me um, from coaches, personnel. You know, I only had eight coaches football, where you're used to here, I got 16 coaches, you know. Mm -hmm. And 
we had eight total. We were coaching junior high and varsity. I was, I'd never painted a field before. And uh, I got there and I asked the superintendent who paints the field. He said, well, you do. I said, well, <laughs> what? I, I, yeah. I don't tell me how, but uh, fortunately we had a counselor that had coached there for a long time and, and he, he had owned his own painting business and he paints uh, parking lots and railroads and all that. And so he helped me, he kind of showed me the way and guided me along. And uh, I actually enjoyed getting out there and painting the field. But I remember the first time I, I painted the field, I called my dad. Cause I remember when I was at Barber Seal, my dad told me, Oh, you young bucks, y'all will never have to paint a field. You'll never have to do laundry mm-hmm. or have to do. So I remember the first time I did laundry, I called him, Hey, guess who just did laundry? You know, the first time I yeah. mopped the floors, Hey, guess who just mopped the floors? The first time I painted the field, I said, you can't tell me that I'll never have to do that anymore. Cause I, I did right. it. That's right. Very humbling to go down and work at the small school level. But I, I, I learned a lot about work ethic down there because I got spoiled at Barbers Hill. You know, they took care of us from a money standpoint, from just we never did laundry. We never clean. We had great custodial stuff there. And then you get to a small school and you just don't have that support. And so right. if, if the bathrooms need to be washed, we're the ones doing them. You know, if laundry needs to be done, we're the ones doing them. And so uh, we're cutting the grass. We're painting the field. And um, it, it was it was very uh, rewarding because I, I just learned there's so much more to this business than what I've been doing the last five years and so uh brought that approach with me now I remember my first year here at Alvin one of my one of my I was in there doing laundry and one of the coaches said you don't have to do laundry I said what do you mean he said well coordinators don't typically do laundry and I go what like the laundry needs to be done I'm going to do the laundry that's what I've been yeah. doing for yeah years, you yeah know? and so um just kind of learned a little bit more about how to truly work in this business and there's a lot of things that go on behind closed doors and uh if something needs to be done do it don't wait for it to be done and so uh Learned a lot of that, you know, coaching down at SNS. Man, you said a lot of good things in that, Coach. I mean, I remember when when I was a defensive coordinator at Ridgepoint, I was right there with you, man. I was throwing those pins, you know, five forty-five in the morning, you know. And Jimmy Hammond, my good friend, who's now the head coach at Seven Lakes, he was the he was the same way. We don't, you know, we'd be throwing the laundry there, and you know, the thing you said, I listen to a lot of coaching podcasts. One that I like is Hanging of Coach Noonan. That's a really good coaching high school coaching podcast, and. uh they had DJ Mann on one episode. He's the head coach at Lubbock Coronado. Uh, he was the OC at Cedar Hill before that. He said the exact same thing you did as far as when we're young coordinators, we all think we're ready to be the head coach. And you don't really know until you sit in that seat, you know, and, and you're kind of humbled. And I, I, you know, I just, I kind of smiled ear to ear hearing your experience because exact same as mine uh, when I took over at Aldine. But, you know, lots of great stuff there. But you, you then, then you say that you took a, you know, quote unquote, step back in position. You know, you went from head coach back to a coordinator uh, to come back to Alvin to be the OC. But you knew you wanted to be in a big school, kind of like your, your dad had done and what you'd experienced at Barber Hill. So let's, let's turn our attention down to Alvin. I'm assuming you came, I guess, I imagine Tim Takel was your head coach at the time? Or? Yes. Yeah. So, so I, I was looking to get back to the Houston area. Uh, my son lived down here and, and he was getting, he was going to be in kindergarten and I was starting to, you know, it was, it was, it was going to be hard for me to get to his baseball game, get to his football games. And uh, you know, so I told my wife, Let, let's look at trying to get a little bit closer. And um, so I just started searching and, and, and I saw that coach Takel got this job and I said, I don't, I don't know coach Takel personally, but mm-hmm. I had served on the board of directors with him. And mm-hmm. so I, reach out and just see if he's got anything open and so I did I called him and and he called me back and um you know he 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 knows him my dad know of each other again serving on the board but but Bruce Taylor who was over at Barbers Hill uh which is one of my you know mentors he he's one of the greatest guys I've ever known is real close with coach Takel and so uh they talked and uh coach Takel asked me to come down and visit with him and again he didn't really tell me what we were going to visit about or what position and 
So I get down here and we just kind of started talking option football. And he, he says, all right, you ready to be the offensive coordinator? And I thought, oh, I, I didn't, I didn't expect any, any coordinator title. I was just looking to get down here. Yeah. You know, there's, you're, you're going to be an ISS. There's no second sport. And I thought, man, this is kind of a dream come true. And so um, it was a no brainer for me when I was offered that position, that, that that's where we wanted to be. And then obviously my wife moving down as a softball coach, she landed at Ridge point, you know, yeah. you're, where, where you're from. And so, yeah. Um, you know, it worked out perfect for both of us. She got, she went from a four A school to a six A program and a successful six A program at oh, that. Yeah. Uh, I was able to get back into the big school, which is where I've always wanted to be. And uh, I knew I wanted to be a big school head football coach one day. I didn't think it would be, you know, within the first couple of years of getting back into it, but, but here we are. And, yeah. Uh, I, I learned a lot at, you know, my two years as an assistant here, as, as going back to a coordinator, I learned a lot um, that I didn't know the first time, you know, even as a head coach, you know, going, and I tell people that it's kind of rewarding, you know, you get, you go from an assistant to a head coach, you don't really know what you don't know. And then you go back from a head coach to an assistant coach and you realize how important assistant coaches are. Yes. Good assistant coaches can be. And so uh, I told myself, you know, I'm going to be that good assistant that he needs. I'm I'm going to be that he may hate me because I'm in his office 10 times a day, but, but what do you need me to do? How can I help? What can I take off your plate? You know, yep. what can I do to make life easy for you? And, uh, you know, I, I kind of went by that standard and, and, and I, I felt like I was, you know, it, it was kind of a breath of fresh air for me because I didn't have the responsibility of, of, of hiring coaches. I didn't have the responsibility of parent, you know, meetings. I mm-hmm. coach football and I was able to do, you know, run, run youth camp. I was able to, you know, help with run, run the outside part of offseason. I was able to do things I wasn't able to do as a head coach because I didn't have the time to. And so, sure. uh, but the biggest thing I told myself when I got down here as the OC and assistant, I said, I'm going to do everything I can to make life easy for coach Tankle. And, 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 you know, I, I didn't know him again, previously coming down here. Um, but, but I was very fortunate that he gave me the opportunity to come down and, and, and be a part of this Alvin community. Just Great soundbite there for any young coaches that are listening. I mean, that, that, that is perfect coach. That's gold that our goal as assistants should be to make life easier for the head coach. Right. I just beautiful. Just very well said. Now, what I know about coach take and I, I don't know him personally as well, but a good friend of mine, uh, Patrick Longstreet was his OC at, at Terry for a time. And I knew of Terry, of course, I'm from Fort Bend. So kind of from that area. And I, I believe coach Takel, you know, he's got a U of H connection, you know, with, I believe even all, you know, back to Bill Yeoman running the veer. So I, they always like they ran the veer at Terry, but it was out of kind of like a split back set. And right. so you're the expert on the option. It's not me. So I just kind of, I'm just kind of curious. You're a little bit of perspective. We don't talk a lot of X's and O's here, but when you got there to Alvin, cause I know you've just tell me about the type of option that he was running what, versus what you had done in the past and kind of how you guys married that together to run the offense. Right. So when I got down here, uh, you know, he, he told me he wanted to run the option and he didn't really say what form of it, what version of it. And, uh, he's an old split back beer guy, you know, he yep. coached ECU and then, um, you know, growing up, he was at Terry for 20 something years and very successful there running the split back beer. And uh, I just kind of told him, I don't, I don't have any background with the split back beer. I have more background with the wishbone and, and flex bone. And yep. so he, he told me, he said, run what you're comfortable running. And, um, you know, that's one thing that I learned from him uh, a little bit different than my dad. He turned the reins over and said, you got it. It's your offense. You, you run it, you know? And yeah. Uh, my dad was still very hands-on and I'm probably a little bit more like my dad as far as hands-on. Um, you know, I'm going to turn it over to my coordinator this year and let him call it, but, but still have a say so in what we're do- doing. Coach Tagle said, it's yours. You, you take yeah. it. Here's what I want. I want to run the option and basically what he told me. And so, um, you know, again, my, the, the thing I probably learned my first time as a head coach, and then even as a, coming back as a coordinator 
is I try to put way too much on too fast. And my first year as head coach, especially at the 3A school, I was trying to run a 6A offense at a 3A school where I just didn't have the time to, to do everything, to perfect everything. And so, you know, for me, we had to cut way, way back about halfway through the season. And when we did, we started having some success. And so when I got here at Alvin, it was kind of the same thing. We were trying to do too much and we weren't really good at anything. Uh, and so I finally, about halfway through the season, we decided to cut back and uh, we still weren't great, but we started to make progress. And, and uh, we started focusing a little bit more on the option game instead of the power game. And mm -hmm. uh, I started to click at the end of the year and then going into our second year, uh, things really, really started to click. And, and then this last year, so my first year here, we averaged three points a game. And it's almost embarrassing to say that, but it, 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 this is a hard offense to learn in two months. And that's what we, yes, yes. Here, I got here in late May and we had summer in August to learn it. And so we struggled that first year. Uh, and then this last year being my third year, you know, we averaged up over 23 points a game. So, yep. in, you know, in years we, we were averaging over 20 more points a game than we were. So the kids slowly are starting to figure it out. The kids are understanding why we're running this offense. The kids are understanding, uh, you know, the ins and outs of it. And uh, that's what makes this offense fun for me is like you said, it's a unique offense and not, not a lot of people know a lot about it. And uh, that's how I felt about the, the split back when, when coach Takel asked me, I said, I, coach, I'm, I'm, I'll learn it but I'm more comfortable running the wishbone and the flex bone. And that's what he said. Well, if that's what you're comfortable with then, then run it. And so uh, we've stayed true to it. We're not, we, we haven't changed a whole lot from what we did my first year to now the kids just, they, they, they've learned it. They, they understand it and, and they're executing at a high rate right now. So, um, you know, it's, to me, it's, it's, I, I love this offense more than any because one, I grew up in it, but yeah. two, uh, it's uh, option football is all, all I've ever known. Even at SNS, my first year, we were wishbone. My second year, we actually transitioned to the pistol, ran some pistol option. Okay. Uh, I really, really enjoyed that. Uh, but but back here at Alvin, we've gone back to under center, and I've just grown to love it. But I've, I've talked to some, to, to some great option people. You know, I've talked to my dad. We've talked to the guys up at Harding. I've talked to Coach Whitaker down at Calhoun. Yeah. Um, talked to a lot of good people about the ins and outs of this offense, and uh, that's the one thing I love about it. There's so much more that, that I'm still learning even now that I yeah. didn't. I think that's the, the, the fun part about it is, is every, every little detail we learn is, is, is benefiting our kids and helping us kind of grow and platoon as an offense. And, I, you know, like I said, we don't typically talk X's and O's, but I'm going to deviate from that a little bit just because I'm also a fan of the option offense, but it's from the outside looking in. And I, I was a defensive guy. And so I don't have your background, but I'm just one question I had at, at Alvin where I know that Coach Takel ran the split-back beer at Terry, but was he also doing that at Alvin before you came? So, no, his first year was my first year. So oh, he, okay. I didn't – okay. What were they doing before you came, though? They were kind of a wing T, slot T. Uh, okay, okay. Mix. Um, I remember – what's the guy's name? Uh, I can't remember. Buddy Harden. But I can't remember what the guy's name that was here before Takel. But they were kind of under center wing T. But uh, before that, they had been kind of the spread. And so – uh, they were still kind of transitioning to that under center, kind of coming off the sure. ball. Um, they were still kind of new and fresh for all the kids. But, um, you know, the one thing that we preach here is ball security. And, yep. and we want to we want to control the you know time of possession. And uh, we tell our kids all the time, if, if we're going to beat the teams we're not supposed to beat, it's because it's going to be because we hide the ball from them. You know, and a prime example is uh, last year we played Pearland Dawson. 35-21 ball game and they 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 received the ball they went down and scored they kicked an on, a surprise onside and it was like the perfect onside as it was hitting our kids hands he's getting blown up mm -hmm. cover and go down and score and so it's 14 to nothing you know five minutes into the game 
Well, after that, it was a 21-21 game. And so after the game, we go back. We ran 68 plays. I think they ran 35 plays. Yeah. Uh, they ran 11 plays in the second half. You know, we had an 18-play drive, a 17-play drive, and a 14-play drive that night. So that's kind of what we're built on here is, is whatever's working, we're going to keep – if the power game's working, we're going to run it. If the option game's working, we're going to run it. We'd like to be able to run both, but we're going to stick to what's working. We're going to snap the ball at five seconds, if not less than that. Uh, we still huddle. We love the huddle. Love it. Uh, yeah, but we're gonna we're gonna we we want twenty first downs a game. We want three hundred yards rushing a game. We feel like if we can do that, we're gonna give ourselves a chance to either win the game or be in the game, in, you know, late in the fourth quarter. So um, that's kind of the mentality our kids have bought into here, and it, it's it's been fun because uh, it was a freshman game last year, uh, freshman B game, and we're all standing on the sideline, and we were moving the ball and moving the ball and moving the ball, and a parent up in the stands yells, "Throw the ball, coach! Throw the right. ball!" Right. And this little bitty freshman wide receiver, wide receiver turns around and goes, why? We're running it for 10 yards every time we, we snap it. You That's know, awesome. and the coordinator, and I said, we've got them. like they're in like they are bought into this. That's like, awesome. The parents like, what are, why would we throw the ball? Like we're literally getting 10 yards every time we run the ball. And so, uh, you know, when, when I heard that, we just kind of chuckled and laughed. But we thought, you know what? Our kids understand it. They, they bought in and they know why we're doing what we're doing now. And uh, they're they're seeing the benefits from it. That was going to be my question, coach, is the buy-in portion. You know, that's one thing I want to talk about because, I, you know, when I came to Austin, when I was at Austin College as Jay, like you, I was a receiver coach, mm-hmm. you know, for a team that had run the spread the year before, and all of a sudden a new coach comes in and he brings in the option. So I I would say my, my receivers are maybe a slightly disgruntled group, you know? I mean, it's, it's different, you know, right. when you're going from spread to, like you said, maybe it's a good game when we're throwing it five times a game, you know? We're doing good. Right. We're doing what we want to do. So um, I'm, I'm curious about that aspect. And then secondly, like you mentioned, the parents. Uh, I'm, I'm good friends with Darren Andrus, who was at Kempner High School. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever crossed his yeah. path, but we, we played each other last year. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I think he got away from the option more recently, but before he was running the flex bone for many years and successfully yeah. as well. And we used to always have conversations about that. And he'd tell me, you know, Kobo, it, it gives us the best chance to win the game with our kids here. And what he would talk about sometimes there were parents that would, mm-hmm. that would just like you said, throw the ball coach, you know, they see things right. on TV or they think their kid's not going to get a scholarship or you know, this kid's putting a B stats. And so all of those factors, I just want to know, is anything you, you can comment about that, about what you've experienced, what you can recommend to other coaches that are, that are doing something similar to you? What, what can we, what can we learn from your experience with, with that buy-in portion? Well, you got to stick to what you believe in. And if you think this is what gives your kids the best opportunity to be successful, you got to go with it. And, um, you know, we, we, we throw the ball a little bit. I think we averaged six, six times a game last year. And I've told I'd like to throw it eight to 10 times a game, you know, but when we throw the ball in this offense, we're not looking to just throw we're, we're looking for big plays, you know, right, when right. putting eight, nine, 10 guys in the box, we've got to be able to protect and throw shots down the field. Um, you know, when, when, when teams are going to give us that opportunity. And so um, sometimes we throw the ball down the field just to get guys out of the box, you know, and incompletion is not necessarily a bad play for us. if It pulls the safety back a couple yards. And so um, the receivers, I think we have three varsity wide receivers right now. So, uh, you know, our kids know that if they want to touch the ball, they better play quarterback, fullback, or running back in this offense. Right. But the receivers that we do have, uh, they take pride in their blocking, you know. And when I coach receivers, that was one thing we – if we had, let's say, I don't know, 10 periods of individual, at least five or six of those we were going to work blocking. You know, we mm-hmm. took – and, and our kids do here as well. And so uh, we preach, you know, and we reward our, our receivers. If there's a big play on the perimeter because of a block they get, we're going to call it out. We're going to reward them. Uh, and we're going to brag on them because they don't sometimes they're like the offensive linemen. They, they go unnoticed. And so, uh, you know, it, it, it's 
the buy-in is there and it took time. It did that first year we had kids like you at Austin college, you know, um, why aren't we throwing the ball? We need to do this. We need to do this. You know, well, at that point we were just trying to do anything that works, but, um, you know, we, we focused harder probably this year, this off season more than any on the, on the past game part of things, you know, mm. cause we, we felt like last year, if we could throw the ball a little bit, uh, we would have, we would have had a chance to really have some, some big games, you know, number wise. And so, uh, we focused a little bit more on the past game this, this, uh, spring, you know, as far as instilling a couple new concepts, but just, just playing catch more our quarterbacks getting out there. Cause our, you know, when you're running what we run and you're running the ball 80, 90% of the time, you don't spend a lot of time in practice on the pass game part of it. And so, um, you know, we may get 10 or 15 minutes during practice to focus on the pass game. And so we've got to still time otherwise, where other, other places. And so, uh, you know, Tuesdays during the summer, we do nothing but throw the ball, you know, during the, during the fall, uh, during the spring, we, we made sure we set aside time to throw the ball a little bit because we feel like, again, uh, that can help us kind of take that next step in this offense. And you see Georgia Tech when Paul Kelly was there, uh, you know, Army, Navy, those guys, when they throw the ball, they throw it for big plays. And uh, that's what we feel like we can do. If we can be efficient and complete five or six passes a game for 100-plus yards, then that's going to really help open up the run game because it's going to kind of loosen up the box for us a little bit. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Coach. I mean, when, I, when I first got to Aldine, I, I took the opposite approach, uh, mistakenly, I would say. And I, I came in thinking like, hey, we're a little bit undersized. Like, I want to I spread it out, but I, I just want to, you know, screen game, quick passing, just, tr just try to use it, take advantage of our quickness where we may not have, you know, burners or a lot of size, but like, use our quickness in a, in a spread type of offense. And what, what I found out quickly is though, those, those three and outs add up pretty quick. And uh, we started, you know, losing games 70 to 21 and things of that nature. So right. it, at the end of the day, you're not, a you know, yeah, we did some good things on offense, but you don't get a you don't get a win for doing good on offense you get a win for winning right. a football game and so we right. started we slowed the pace down you know but going into that second year I was heavily considering going to the flex zone because I've always believed in it some of the things I witnessed working with your dad as a GA for one year and things I've just seen in other other teams that I respect and that coach Schallenberger my offensive coordinator at the time he's now the uh, O-line coach uh, at Klein Kane we drove all the way down to Port Lavaca and we stayed overnight with Richard Whitaker, who you brought up. And he's a great guy. He's got Aldean back. He was at Aldean, so he was more than happy to, to teach us. And right. I really liked it. You know, at Aldean, we had a we, we were really building a powerlifting, weightlifting culture. We had a great weight room. And our linemen weren't 6'5". I mean, maybe they're more 5'8", five, 5'7", five, but they were strong. They were aggressive. I could just envision them firing out and getting on guys' knees. And just I could see it kind of forming. But I just couldn't shout. Coach Shallon and I couldn't quite pull the trigger because I, I just we just felt like you need a certain level of knowledge and coaching to do it right. Kind of right. like you talked about eating. You know the option, and you said that first year wasn't good because it just you can't install it that quickly. And I I right. just envisioned that I was like we don't fully know it. I like it. We don't know it. It's gonna it may be a disaster. We may look really really bad. And I just I couldn't quite pull the trigger, you know. So just thinking on that i mean i'm just curious just just some of your thoughts for coaches maybe they're in the same shoes that i was that are well, considering the yeah. challenging part like you you commented on it you know it, it is a hard offense run if you don't know all the ins and outs and that's what mm -hmm. i commented there's so many different details that, that you learn about this offense and uh, i brought in an offensive coordinator named james piker last year from baton rouge louisiana and uh, he's a flex bone guy uh, but he's coaching a little bit of everything he's coached defense he's coached offense he's coached spread but but he's got a flex bone background and uh, but he's an offensive line coach. And, and he honestly, I told my dad this, he reminds me a lot of Coach Petrosky. Mm. He's a very fundamentally uh, sound coach. He coaches the fundamentals better than anybody I've ever been around. And I've coached with some good coaches before, but but he 
truly breaks down the, 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 you know, the, the offensive line play to a T for those kids to where they understand every little detail matters. And so having him on the offensive line allows me, you know, I've always coached quarterbacks and fullbacks in this offense. It allows me to stay over there with them and coach them. And so I think that probably contributes to a little bit of the success we had this year. Uh, you know, not saying the guys that were before Coach Piker weren't good coaches, but they just didn't have the background and the flex bone that Coach Piker had. And so getting him in this year uh, as our offensive line coach took it to the next level. Our kids were able to come off to the sideline, tell us what, what front they were in, tell us what adjustments they were making. And before you knew it, we knew exactly what they were doing by the second series because we had smart kids that understood the offense. And so, um, you know, being able to have that person on staff that understands what a in this 10 weeks, we're going to see 10 different defenses. You know, we're not going to see, you may be a 50 defense, but against us, you may run a six, one, you know, mm -hmm. maybe mm -hmm. four, two, five, but against us, you may line up in a four, four. And so, uh, you know, everybody does whatever, whatever they think is best to defend this. And so for us, it's hard for us to, to prepare for a team because we don't know what we're going to see. We, we have an idea of what, what do they base out of? What do we think we're going to see? Eventually they're going to go back to their base stuff. If we heard on what, sure adjustment going to be for us and so you know in this offense to be able to be successful you got to have somebody on staff that understands what are they trying to take away from us what are they trying to do to hurt us and coach piker does a really good job communicating coach this is what they're trying to take away this is what we need to focus on this is what we need to attack them with and and, and, and having that person in my ear this year really helped me as a play caller you know open up and say wow okay this is our plan of attack now and so by the second series of the game we, we knew exactly what they were trying to do, and, and we knew exactly how we wanted to attack them then. And so if you don't have a guy on staff, it can make it difficult. And, and again, my first year here, I had great guys on my offensive staff, but none of them had ever coached in the triple option before. And so you had spread backgrounds, you had wing T backgrounds. And so they were learning as the kids were learning. And I think that's probably, you know, contributes to a little bit of the struggle that we had. And so right. – uh, the, and I think that's probably contributes to a little bit of success we've had. Now I've got guys on staff that have been with me for three years that understand the offense, that understand the, the adjustments we have to make and uh, understand why we do certain things certain ways. And, uh, you know, I'm excited to see kind of what year four brings for our offensive staff because, again, the addition of Coach Piker last year, uh, Coach Munson's coming back for his third year in the offense. I, I'm going to keep coaching quarterbacks and fullbacks. Uh, so we've got guys on staff that that understand the offense. And so – you know, it allows us to kind of, I don't want to say add on, but we can kind of go a little bit more into detail and, and do a little bit more than, than we could have, you know, early, in, my, in my early years here. You know, and that's, that's one thing as, as far as the option offense. I watched the year that Ridge, it was the year, my first year when I went to Aldine, my first year gone, I went back to watch Ridgepoint play in the first round of the playoffs against Port Lavaca Calhoun. And this Ridgepoint team ended up going to the state semis. They were, they were dead to rights to lose that game against Calhoun it took right. a couple just throwing a couple hitches to our star receiver Terry Petrie to bust it for 80 yards to make the difference in the game but I watched that Calhoun team almost pull off a, a monumental upset and it's because of that option that's another that right. memory always stuck with me so I believe in what you're doing coach well I know I, for I'm some with you I went down I actually went down and visited coach Whitaker my first year down yeah here. I took him my offensive line guy down there because again my offensive line guy was an old wing T guy and uh, he he just he didn't know the the fundamental part and we walked away. We, we went down early in the morning, stayed all day, watched the practice. And we came back and it, it opened my offensive line coach's eyes up to, to what this offense is really about. And so um, Coach Whitaker runs it as good as anybody. Like you said, I, 
they've won a lot of games over the years that they probably shouldn't have won because mm-hmm. of what offensively and I know his offensive line coach has been with him for almost 20 years now and so when you have that camaraderie and that consistency there uh you know it it, it really makes this offense fun to work be a part of you know this question I always ask to all my guests you know this, this is a lot of coaches probably listen you know listen to this but I, I want parents to listen and you know I, I think back to that that dad in the stands yelling just throw the ball like it just it kind of angers me like what do you, what's the what constructive what's your point what's your purpose in doing this you know so and now that I'm broadcasting I, you know and I, I broadcast games and stuff I'm in the stands more I see I, I can hear some of what the parents are saying and so I, I think when parents do things like that it's, it's making their child have a more negative experience in athletics so you know, you're a dad, you know, and, and you, your son, you know, is getting older. He'll be playing sports soon, you know, at the big, you know, at the high school. And what would, what do you tell, what would you tell to a parent? And I understand parents only act out because they love their kids, but what would you tell to a parent to allow their kid to have the best possible athletic experience? You know, it's, it's funny you say that because my son just finished up his, his eight U all-star P coach. I don't even know what it is. It's, it's, it's mm-hmm. too for me, but you know, I, I go to the games and I sit way down on the fence line. I sit away from the, the moms. I sit yep. away from the dads. Yep. There's just too much going on. And, and, yep. and I tell my wife all the time, I just want to be a dad. Like, I just want to yeah. sit enjoy watching my son, you know. And whether he goes three for three or oh for three, like, at the end of the day, I'm going to tell him I'm proud of him. And, you know, as long as he's having fun, like, I'm happy. And so that's my message when I when I meet with parents at the start of the year is don't push your kid. Don't put, just let them have fun, you know teach them to, to this game is about having fun. And the whole reason they're playing is because they had fun along the way. Otherwise they wouldn't still be doing it. You know, if they had a bad experience somewhere, they, they wouldn't be doing it. You know, and if a kid's doing only playing football because you're the one pushing them, then they're playing it for the all, all the wrong reasons. And so um, I think this day and age, there's a lot of parents and not necessarily at Alvin, I haven't experienced it, but there are parents out there that, that want to relive their lifestyle through. Sure. Their- sure. And, relive their glory days through their kid. And, and to me, that's the mistake we as parents can make is, is trying to compare our kids to us when we played instead of just letting your kid be a kid. And, and uh, you know, so my message to parents is just let your kid be a kid. Let them go play. Let them have fun. They're going to fail, uh, but they're going to fail in life. And if we're there to always correct them and always, they've got to learn how to fix their mistakes for themselves. And, uh, you know, my old saying that to my players is don't turn one mistake into two. Uh, you know, learn from your mistake and let's not let it happen again. And so, uh, you know, that, that goes well in life as well. You make, we, we all make mistakes in life, you know, myself included. And so, um, but if I continue to make the same mistake, then, then, then I'm not, you know, I'm not doing what I need to do as a coach. And so I make a thousand mistakes a day, but I've got to learn from those and better myself. And so, uh, you know, that's kind of my message to the parents is let your kids be kids, take the training wheels off and let them learn how to ride that bike by themselves. Cause they're going to fail. Uh, they're going to make mistakes, but they're going to grow from those mistakes and they're going to learn from them and it's going to make them a better person later on in life. And so, uh, you know, this day and age, again, there's those helicopter parents that, that sometimes yeah. a little bit too much, but I, I'm fortunate. We don't, we're, we don't really have those here at Alvin, you know, yeah. we've got the parents that every now and then tell me to throw the ball, but <laughs> our parents let us coach our kids hard and uh, they know that we have the best interest in their kids. And they know that at the end of the day, uh, we're going to coach them hard, but we're going to love them too. So, you know, that's kind of my message that I give to our parents at the start of the year. A lot of great advice there, coach. And now we're, we're approaching the portion of the show where we kind of, we quit talking, to, you know, about the coaching so much and just kind of learn more about you and some fun little stories. And, you know, you, you played against some, some real stars out there. You're, you're in the heart of the Metroplex there when you were in high school at Louisville. So, I mean, you, you remember playing against Brian Bosworth's 
nephews, twin boys at Plano West. You said they were some grown men. They went on to a great career at UCLA. And then you also played against Rex Burkhead at Plano. And I remember that. I remember going to Texas Stadium and watching Rex Burkhead. I think as a freshman, he was starting as a running back uh, playing for the Wildcats there. And I feel like, and he's still in the league, right? He's 32 years old. He's still, he's still mm-hmm. in the league of the Texans there. And so th- he's just an amazing athlete. But I feel like he also, didn't, didn't he have a brother that was a defensive end? I don't remember his brother. I just remember Plano at one point was 0-10. And then yeah. I think he was maybe a freshman or sophomore. The year we played on, they went 4-6. and six. That was my senior year. And then the, my freshman year of college, they ended up getting beaten like the semifinals. They, but they yeah. had like 15 sophomores that year they went 0-10. And yeah. he was one of the scene, one of the ones that and, – and, and anyway, when, when by the time he was a senior, I think, was the year they – or he may have been, only been a junior that year. But they went like five rounds deep in the playoffs with all those young kids. But yeah. I just remember going back and – I may have been at the same playoff game you were at. I just remember yeah. watching – man, that guy's incredible. Then obviously yeah. – Nebraska and then had a great NFL career but um, he was a good one and then the Bosworth twins were you watch them on film and, and you're going those guys are real deal you know you, you know they're going to UCLA you know who their uncle is and you, you watch them and then you know I remember at that point I was kind of all over the place I was kind of we were in a little shotgun package where we'd run some power game option out of and uh, I was the H-back and I remember I had a pool a couple times I remember all week in practice pool and thinking that's not going to be that scout linebacker on Friday night. That's going to be one of Bosworth's, you know, nephews there that I'm, that I'm going against. And <laughs> I think the first time I went through, I, I brought everything I could and he just kind of hit me and threw me off and made the tackle for about a two yard gain. And I remember after about the second or third time we ran it, I, I went over to the sideline and I told my dad, I said, dad, you got to stop calling that play. Like I can't block them. Like I physically can't block them. Like I'm, yeah. I'm doing everything I can. And they are just knocking me off and making the play without any, you know, struggle at all. And so, uh, those two guys, I remember watching them at UCLA. Uh, both of them played played a lot, you know, all four years at UCLA and had a great career. But uh, I thought it was cool because I'm an OU fan. I grew up an OU fan. Okay. And, uh, some of those guys I mentioned earlier, uh, Demario and, and uh, Tony Cade went up to OU yeah. and played. Well, Darren Stevens, some of my dad's old players went up there, so I always followed them. And I kind of just grew up a, an OU fan. And so, uh, you know, knowing who Brian Bosworth was and uh, going against them. It was a cool experience, but at the end of the game, I told him, I'm glad I don't have to block you anymore, you know, because <laughs> there was no blocking going on. It's kind of me sure. getting for about a half a second and then want to make the play. So, uh, but they were, they were, they were definitely some grown men out there on that, on that, that field that night. Another fun story you shared with me is you talked about, you know, you scrimmage your dad or you coached against your dad for two years and, you know, it is in scrimmages and uh, you know, when you scrimmage, you're not supposed to keep the score, but you said you can tell us a score and uh from each one of those years and i was thinking man this sounds like the dodgeball right like last year uh you know with, you know with todd from westlake and riley down there at south lake and you know the old man got the better of it in the state championship games i'm wondering what happened between you and coach gage there in those scrimmages well, there wasn't as much at stake as the old dodgeball sure. <laughs> on the line there was no other than bragging rights there was no uh you know there was nothing on the line but I actually agreed to scrimmage paradise. And uh, when I agreed to scrimmage paradise, my dad was still at Barbers Hill and uh, they didn't have a coach at the time. And so I called my dad and I said, Hey, do you know anything about paradise? And he was like, yeah, it's 10 minutes from where I grew up in Decatur. Why? And I said, well, we're scrimmaging. He's like, who's the coach there? And I said, well, they don't have one. I, the principal called me asking if I wanted to scrimmage. He said, they don't have a coach. And I said, no, he said, Oh, so he looked into it and ended up applying and getting the job. And so, <laughs> Uh, we end up scrimmaging that first year and we went over to their place and 
uh, I think the control part was, was zero to zero. And then we went a live quarter or two. And I remember we scored and, and we called it just a little power play. Again, we would transition to the pistol that year. And so uh, we ran a little quarterback power play and uh, down on the goal line. And my dad, after the game, I can't believe you called a draw on the goal line. I said, Dad, that wasn't a draw. We ran power down there. It's quarterback power, you know. And, mm-hmm. oh, I can't believe it. And I said, well, you know, I, I'm sorry you didn't score tonight. We scored once, you know. So the first <laughs> year we beat them seven to nothing. But, yeah. uh, you know, and then the second year they were supposed to come to us and it rained real hard. And uh, we didn't want to tear up our grass. And so we called Louisville and we said, hey, can we can we scrimmage at Louisville? Wow, that's cool. We ended up going to Louisville High School and scrimmaging at Louisville on the old Max Goldsmith Stadium when my dad won two state championships. Wow. So, uh, that was cool. And, and we actually, uh, we, we, we beat them 14 to seven. So I, you know, technically both years we won, we beat them. Oh, you got his number. <laughs> you know, I, he, he, we called a timeout late in the scrimmage and he, you know, I didn't know we were calling timeout, you know, it was always some, something that, you know, <laughs> that's the reason we beat them. But uh, yeah, we, we scored late in the scrimmage to beat them 14 to seven. And then we were actually uh, planning to play them the next year. Uh, we had scheduled each other. We were going to play week one and uh, you know, we were going to make a, make a real game out of it. And, uh, my dad ended up having a heart attack that April mm, yeah. out of coaching. And so, yeah. um, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, Tommy Cook, his dad, Joe, had moved down from retired from up north in uh, Minnesota and had moved down in, or Wisconsin. I'm sorry, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. come down and, and was my dad's offensive coordinator. And so when my dad uh, retired, Tommy's dad, uh, Joe, took over. And so we ended up playing Joe my last year at SNS, uh, the first game of the year. But uh, it would have been the gauge bowl, you know, the the, <laughs> the, 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 the real gauge bowl instead right. of just a uh, but you know, my dad ended up having to get out because of his, you know, his health conditions, but, uh, no, we had a lot of fun though. I, I, I got, uh, still got the game ball coach or one of my pictures, this is my, <laughs> that was my picture right there of us coaching against each other. That's awesome. That's uh, awesome. That's one I keep on my desk. And, uh, that's a, that's a picture I'll keep forever right there. Cause that was from the first year we scrimmaged each other. And so, uh, I don't even remember who took that picture, but, but it was a, it's, it's a keeper for sure. That's awesome. And another, another great story that you shared. And this one, I think, I think we, we, we're going to get some fun out of this, some mileage out of this, because your wife is also going to be a guest on the team player podcast, but right. you said that you met her through Twitter and that she made the first move. Okay. So we always like to talk a little bit of our significant others here. So tell us that story. And I can't wait listeners stay tuned. Cause she's going to have she a rebuttal. <laughs> and, and she, and she'll, she'll probably come up with some story, but I've got, I've got messages saved on my phone. So. <laughs> You got the uh, I've, got, I've got proof no matter what, what she says, I've got proof of who made the first move. So, uh, so no, when I got the job at SNS, I moved up there and, uh, you know, my Twitter started kind of blowing up a little bit, not blowing up, but, but people started following me and, and yeah. I got this follow from this girl and uh, Lindsay Lacey, I, who's Lindsay Lacey. And so I open it up and I go, Oh, first thing I thought is she's pretty good looking, you know, <laughs> yeah. she, you know? well, then I find out she's the head softball coach at Whitesboro, which you're, you're mm. from that yep was five minutes down the road and yeah, so I, yeah that's that's she's close you know but she's good looking well i messaged her first but she she followed me first and so <laughs> that as the first move but but i messaged her and i messaged her very professionally i, I sent her <laughs> and i said hey thanks for the follow you know i'm new to this area and I'm, I'm looking for some coaches do you have anybody in mind you would think would be a great coach blah 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 and we kind of started talking and interacting a little bit and uh, we kind of went on about a 10 day little break where we stopped communicating. And then she messaged me again. Ah, okay. Finding any of all your coaches. And that kind of went on to <laughs> number. And then we went to dinner. And then, yeah, 
probably 11 months later we were getting married so that's awesome we are wow. no so we uh you know we we're it, it worked out perfect us moving down here because uh we've got two kids together now and, and so in the fall when i'm busy she doesn't have a second sport and then mm. in the but I'm, when she's busy with softball, I'm, I'm a little bit free. So I, you know, able to help take care of the kids. So our schedules mesh perfect. And, um, you know, I tell people all the time, she's the real coach gauge, you know, she went to the mm. state her last year at Anna and got beaten the state finals. And then her first year at Ridgepoint, um, no, her first year at Ridgepoint was, was COVID. And then last year they went four rounds deep. Um, uh, so I tell people like, she's the real, she's the real coach of the family, you know, mm. she's real coach gauge, yeah. but, uh, no, it, it, it's a funny story, but I do have visual proof still that, that she, she, I, she followed me first. I messaged, but she was the one that reached out and followed me, but, uh, we, we hit it off and, yeah. uh, you know, we, the rest, of, I, I think we met that June and we got engaged the following April and then we were married New Year's Eve to 16. So, uh, we, we knew right off the bat that we were, we were meant for each other. So that- we, that's a great story and, yeah you know i go back to to just going up to sns to interview and i tell her all the time if i didn't get offered that job we wouldn't be married like we we could i wouldn't have, i wasn't moving up there just yeah to, yeah so uh you know god has a has a purpose in a, in sure. a way of yep. work and uh i told mr hunter i wouldn't and he mr hunter my superintendent hired me at sns he came to the wedding and I told him, I said, this wedding wouldn't be happening if you didn't give me this opportunity to be at SNS. So again, very fortunate for him, you know, give me that opportunity, but uh, fortunate that she, uh, she didn't think I was a creep when I reached out to her on Twitter. Hands down that that's the best uh, first meet story. That, that was awesome, but stay tuned. Uh, Lindsay Gage, <laughs> will get her chance at a rebuttal here. Cause I, I did, I was messaging her and she, I think she sees it differently. She did say that she kind of sees uh, it differently. Okay. So. You know, well, so I'm anxious, I'm anxious to see, hear what, what her story is. Yeah, so listeners, stay tuned. We, we will definitely get the real Coach Gage on a future episode. She is the head softball coach at Ridgepoint High School. And like you said, excellent coach for sure in her own right. But let's let's talk about your favorite teams. You talk about – this is something we always do towards the end of the show. You're being – you're from Dallas, obviously, so you root for all the Dallas sport teams, and that can be especially hard uh, in Houston. I'm sure particularly if the Cowboys kind of draw the ire of Houstonians quite a bit, but um, you said your coaches give you a really ha- hard time about it. So out of, out of your teams, are there certain ones that you're more into or, or are you just kind of all four across the board you support equally? We, we honestly support both. My wife, she's the same way. Uh, you know, we, we watch the Rangers when they're on TV. Uh, you know, hockey's probably our least favorite, yeah. but still into it, especially when they're in the playoffs. You know, the yeah. stars in the playoffs, we enjoy watching them. Uh, but but Cowboys and Mavericks probably are our top two favorite, you know, that we, we really thoroughly enjoy um, watching. But, uh, you know, just growing up in Dallas, uh, every Sunday we were watching the Cowboy game. We I've probably been to 300 Ranger games growing up. I've probably been to 100 Maverick games. And so uh, when I moved down here back to originally to work at Barbers Hill, everyone tried to convert me to be a, an Astros fan and, and, a, and a Texans fan. And at the time, the Astros were terrible and the Rangers were really good. Right, right the back-to-back world series and so i had bragging rights you know but now the the, the script has been flipped and uh i go in the coach's office and our coaches are talking about the astros game last night you see Jordan or you did it and i'm going i don't even know who these guys are i don't keep up with them you know yeah. and so it definitely feels a little bit out of place in the coach's office when they start talking houston sports because i still listen to 1310 the ticket on my phone i, I gotta get yeah. <laughs> you know and so uh I, I haven't converted to the houston houston world just quite yet but 
Uh, no, I, I, I've always grown up watching and, and, and just loving uh, all the Dallas teams. I don't really have a favorite. You know, I, when the Stars won it, I was a huge Stars fan. Obviously, when the Mavericks won it, that was probably my most memorable moment. I was still young the last time the Cowboys won Super Bowls. But, uh, you know, and then obviously watching the Rangers uh, lose two World Series was tough. But but I've been able to, to over the years, watch some successful Dallas teams and really have someone to kind of get behind and root for well, you know, this is kind of the portion where we, we go to our start bench cuts segment. This is everyone's favorite part of the show. Uh, right. Our start bench cuts are, you know, they're brought to us by the MVP Marketing Group, a turnkey marketing solution for schools. Another Metroplex legend, much like your dad, is Joey Florence at Denton Ryan's. I'm sure those guys definitely, you know, know of each other. Joey Florence is a, uh, he's an advocate of the MVP Marketing Group. His testimonial is on the website. So basically, it, it's just if you want to try to attract sponsors to your program, Mike Vogler, the CEO, can help you create a plan for that. So check out the uh, website in the show notes. You can give Mike a call. Just tell him Coach Kovo sent you. If you decide that his service is a fit, he'll give you a discount. So just want to put that out there. But Coach Florence, uh, definitely a proponent of the MVP marketing group. All right. I didn't do I didn't do this beforehand because I wanted to see which teams you were most interested in. So now that I know, I'm going to start with the Cowboys. So let's let's do let's do a start bench cut here. I I, I don't I want to I want to I definitely want to go with Emmett. Okay, I want to go with Emmett Smith and Michael Irvin. You know th- those are from the glory days. Mm-hmm. Emmett Smith, Michael Irvin. And I'm gonna allow you to insert kind of from the newer era because you're more of a Cowboys fan than I. You insert one more position player from the the newer generation of Cowboys that you want to put into the start bench uh, cut conversation. Well, I'm gonna start Emmett. Obviously, you know, yeah. the leading rusher all time, you got to have him on the field. Uh, I'm going to bench Michael Irving, and, and people are probably going to, you know, they're going to give me a hard time for this, but I'm going to cut Dak Prescott. I'm just not – I'm not sold on him. Okay. Just, I, 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 I think he's got potential to be good, but I just don't think he's – there's something missing right now. I don't know what it is, but I'm just not sold on him just quite yet. So if I had a – I would start Emmett Smith, I would bench Michael Irving, and then I would cut – Dak Prescott. And I'm curious, I, I'm assuming, I'm just assuming, I'm assuming you are saying that, that em- Emmett and Michael Irvin are the best running back and wide receiver from your memory of the Cowboys, or right. are you like a Zeke guy or are you? No, like I, I'm guy? a, I'm a, I'm Emmett, Michael, yeah. Roy, but my favorite all-time Cowboy has got to be probably Jay Novacek. Love it. Jay Novacek. Jay yeah. Novacek. I just love the name. I love the way he played. And I, mean, I was young when he played, so it's not like I watched him intently, but I just remember him catching the ball. And I just, he was one of my favorites growing up. So uh, Jay Novacek, probably my all-time, one of my all-time favorite Cowboys. Let's turn our attention to the Rangers. This first okay. one is a guy that when I think Texas Rangers, it was too, obviously Nolan Ryan, right? We, so we're going to, th- we'll, we'll put Nolan in there. I know these are all different positions, but we're just kind of ranking them in order of a start bench cut here. You got Nolan Ryan, of course, right? What I think of when I think Rangers baseball is Pudge Rodriguez growing up. I mean, that, that's who sticks out to me. I don't know if you feel the same way. And then again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you, since you're more of a Rangers fan than I, insert a third name. But let's go start bench cut with Nolan Ryan, Pudge Rodriguez, and then a third Ranger of your choice. Man, well, I would get fired if I didn't say I'm starting Nolan Ryan because Nolan Ryan graduated from Alvin High School. That's so, right, yeah. That, I, Nolan Ryan I knew filled that, yeah. literally 100 feet from my office. So uh, my car may be on blocks if I say I'm cutting Nolan Ryan. Absolutely. So I'm going to start Nolan Ryan. I'm going to bench Pudge Rodriguez. And man, I I'm gonna cut the old Alex Rodriguez. I was not a big Alex Rodriguez fan when he was with them. So okay, yeah. I was actually my two favorite Rangers growing. I I, I had probably three favorite Rangers growing up. Uh, Juan Gonzalez was one of my favorites. Yeah. 
Clark was one of my favorites. And then I was a huge Rusty Greer fan. Rusty Greer okay. was favorite all time. And um, I actually, in college, we, we found a dog that was like a little gray, rusty gray color and we called him Rusty. And so uh, after Rusty Greer, but yeah, he was, uh, he was one of my favorite Rangers of all time. All right. And then we're going to finish with the Mavericks. You talked about the excitement. The playoffs is a great run to the Western conference finals. I feel pretty confident. That these are the three that I want to ask you about start bench cut. Steve Nash, Dirk Nowitzki, Luka, Luka Doncic. Steve Nash, Dirk Nowitzki, Luka Doncic. I, this is a tough one. I, I've, I want to see what you say here. That's a tough one, but but I, Dirk is probably my all-time favorite athlete of any sport, regardless of, of sport. He For what everything he did for the city of Dallas and for the Mavericks and, and staying true, and he is he's kind of the last of the old throwbacks and, and doing, doing it the right way. And, you know, uh, someone told me, a while back that, that the 2011 Mavericks are probably the last team to win a, a true championship. You know, nowadays, everyone that win it, they have these, they have these super teams that they right, create. Right. Um, you know, I guess the Warriors, they, but, but, but even back then it's, you know, he beat LeBron James and his super team. Yeah. Yeah. That, that to me just will always stay, stay with me. And so I, I've got to start Dirk Nowitzki. I've got to bench Luca because he's, 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 Ask me 20 years from now, and I, they, they may switch, but uh, he's he's so good. He's so yeah. talented. He's so fun to watch. And, uh, you know, my eight-year-old son, he's got a Luka jersey. He's got a Steph Curry jersey. And uh, he like he likes all the same teams I like. And so yeah. we, the Mavericks and Warriors were playing one time. I said, who are you rooting for? And he kind of got quiet. And I said, <laughs> well, who are you rooting for? And he kind of looked. And I said, do you want the Warriors to win? And he kind of said, yeah. And I said, "That son, it's okay. I yeah. said, if you Warrior. I grew up watching the Bulls and Michael Jordan. I said, if yeah, you want, yeah, yeah. So it's awesome that my son's got role models. But you know, he told me he said Luca's my second favorite player behind behind Steph Curry. And love so, it. Love uh, it. you know, so so I got to keep Luca around, and then I'm going to bench Steve Nash. Even though I love Steve Nash uh, when he was with us, uh, you know, out of those three, uh, he would be my third choice. So, sure enough, and, and that's the thing. In, in these situations, benching and cutting. I mean, we're not we're not trying to throw shade. It's just, I'm putting you in an impossible situation. Right, Three of the all-time all greats here. And this was a fun show. This was, we loved it. If you, if you loved it as much as we did, again, just please take that 10 seconds. Give us that review. That's going to help us share this story to more people that, that need to hear it. Hit that follow button to subscribe and hear new episodes every single week, Sunday at 2 p.m. You'll get a new episode right there in your, in your queue. Follow me on Twitter at Coach underscore Kovo. That's Coach underscore K-O-V-O for all the latest team player podcast updates. If you're loving the team player podcast, hit me up. Coach Gage just sent me a Facebook message. You can email us at teamplayerpodcast at gmail.com. Say, hey, you want to come on the show or do you know somebody? That's how we do it here. We lift up our own inside of the Team Player Nation. So, again, just, just reach out to us. We're, we're growing something special here, and we'd love to hear from you. As always, the cover art and music for the Team Player Podcast is provided by two of my former players. The art is by Kaiser St. Cyr, and our intro and exit music is one more good enough from Avrion's self-titled debut album. You can find all his music on all platforms by searching for Avrion. That's A-V-R-I-O-N. Coach James Gage, thank you so much for coming on the show. We, we, we enjoyed it. Man, I appreciate it. If you want to come out to a game next year and watch a little triple option offense, come on out, man. We, hey, we're opening against Aldi in week one, so. Um, oh, okay, that, I'm going to make that happen because actually, you know, I am the voice of Aldi and ISD football. I, okay. So that, that was the only thing that was going to stop me as a coach. I'm usually broadcasting an Aldi and ISD right. game. Yeah, we, Are you we, coming we, to Thorne? Well, they, you know, they shut Thorne down for two oh. years. That's Jeff right. But and so, is it a so they're coming to us both years. Uh, don't Aldine will technically be the home team this year. We'll be, the, we'll, we'll serve as the visiting team. And then next year they'll come back to us and we'll serve as the home team. But 
um, yeah, we're, we're opening up, we're actually opening up Thursday, August 25th. So uh, we were scheduled to go there Saturday, the 27th, but we moved it to Thursday, the 25th here. So that's uh, good to know, because I mean, I guess technically if Aldine is the home team, I may be able to swing that. And so I'm going to politic for that. And it'll be the first time that two team player podcast alums are going to go head to head. You and coach Ojeda are, are both team player podcast alums. And that's going to awesome. be pretty cool. I bet, uh, yeah, he, yeah, he's a, he's a great guy. And I think he's going to do great things there at Aldine. He's, he's really taken you know, the range there and, and everything that I've heard has been positive on him. Absolutely. Feel 100% the same way, but Hey, thanks so much again, coach. Thank you so much to all the team players out there for your support. And we'll catch y'all down the road. It always feel like I need one more boy. One more line, record the track just one more time. My family think I bump my head, lost my mind, insuring them. I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy. One more line, record the track just one more time. My family think I bump my head, lost my mind, insuring them. I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy. One more line, record the track just one more time. My family think I bump my head. Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough But you be told I need some therapy Initially ain't do it voluntarily, but now I got a legacy 